This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. Extra special, extra wonderful Cyberpunk 2077 edition of Normandy FM. I, of course, am Eric Van Allen, joined by co-host Ken Shepard. How are you doing today, Ken? Uh, I made a bad decision before we got on the spot, and I'm, I'm drinking an entire bottle of Coke while we were you, recording. So You keep doing this, Ken. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'm fine right now. I'll, I'll regret it in about five minutes, and then I'll regret it even more when I have to take a leak in the middle of the show. Oh, oh! So you and Lily will have something in common mm-hmm. then. Both of you. Fuck off. <laughs> for, for the for the pod listeners, I have a senior dog. She's a uh, Yorkie Chihuahua. She's sixteen years old, and um, she she's, she's been on steroids for like uh, something that was going on with her. So now she's just fucking peeing all over my office, and it's happened so frequently that everyone who like speaks to me during the day knows this about her, and you know. There's only someone. There's only so many times I can let her out. Wait, so so like if she does it really consistently, does that mean that your whole room smells like piss? Oh no, I, I clean that shit up immediately, and luckily okay. I have I have um I have hardwood floors, so it's not like carpet oh, that she like stains. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, we're all good on that front, and yeah. So yeah. never it, it does not smell to bad. Not have carpets, aren't you? Mm. <laughs> carpet was a mistake. I don't think I don't think I've ever heard a good argument for carpet except oh, for I like, I like a good carpet every now I, and except then. for podcasting that's the only thing that i've ever heard any positive uh thing said about carpet so what, yeah, what carpet. do carpets do for podcasting do they like sound they, they help, the help it, yeah help echo ah. yeah yeah and also like carpet's nice to sit on you know you have some carpet you sit down you play a board game on it it's a good time that most people true, sit in but chairs there's something there's something grounding about like that moment when you have an anxiety attack and you just like lie on the floor, like nothing mm. beats a good hard wood mm. floor mm. to center you. You'd be like, ah, yeah. oh, I am on solid ground again. Mm-hmm. I can do mm. I learned the same thing when I got really drunk in college once. Just cold, cold floor <laughs> works wonders. <laughs> you, would, you would have a hard time cleaning the carpet if things went sideways when you were super Mm -hmm. oh this this one went sideways in many ways but we don't need to talk about this (laughs) on a podcast uh guest natalie flores who i was going to say before we we started you know into you know peeing on floors and stuff uh is a guest that needs no introduction but we we haven't had you on in a hot minute it's been a while uh we we didn't get you on for final fantasy 10 somehow and uh, so I think Last of Us was the last time you were on Normandy FM. How are you doing, uh-huh. Natalie? Last of Us was the last of the times. <laughs> <I was on. laughs> 
Got it. Yes, I'm back. I had to come back for the special episode that we're Mm -hmm. doing today. Uh, No, but yeah, I'm really happy to be back. I missed out on Final Fantasy X, but like I knew it was going to be a wonderful season anyway, and it's like one of your best seasons, and you're only getting even progressively better now that we're going to talk about Cyberpunk. I'm really excited because it feels feels very hard to talk about this game um we will probably get into this at some point but it's a game that's very difficult to talk about even with the the space that writing articles affords where like Mm -hmm. you can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know get all your thoughts on a specific topic you know on paper and that goes through different editing stages and whatnot but ultimately it is representative of some sort of feeling that you want to get out there and i think everyone in this room really likes to write in order to express those feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But a game like Cyberpunk that is so complicated in the public eye, is so difficult to talk about, that it only feels like this is the proper avenue to really explore Mm -hmm. all those complicated feelings. Uh, So I'm really happy to be here and be talking about the character that we'll be talking about. And yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. Well, of She's course, like the we one thing talking. about cyberpunk that I like. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we are talking about Judy Alvarez today. Uh, the one, the only. Uh, before we get into that, for the folks at home who might have joined in during the 10 season, or even for the cyberpunk season, maybe don't know who you are, don't know the legend of Natalie. <laughs> oh my God. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm currently the assistant managing editor at Fanbyte. Um I'm a regular Normandy FM guest. Uh, Sans the Final Fantasy X season was here for The Last of Us. Uh, I was here for Mass Effect, Dragon mm-hmm, Age, all mm-hmm. all things. We all did a panel together on mm-hmm, Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh God. Yeah, that, that was, was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> that was a blast, and so, yeah, I do I do different things, uh, but yeah, so I, um, hmm. how how do I introduce? Because because we're gonna talk about our history with like Judy Alvarez in a bit, right? Yeah. So maybe I don't want to like burn that. Well, content. no, you can you can go right into it. I feel like that's a good segue. Uh, like probably into like, what like what's your history about? with yeah. cyberpunk as a game as well? Yeah, so I don't like cyberpunk. So it's a, a very complicated game, um, but I and I don't think many people know this, but along with Jennifer from The Witcher Three, Judy is actually my favorite character ever. Um, Judy mm-hmm. is representative of everything that I wanted cyberpunk to be and all the potential that I think cyberpunk has had from the beginning that is warped and marred in complicated, sometimes fascinating, sometimes frustrating ways as this podcast has and continues to explore. Um, but yeah, I, I adore Judy. Like I said, she is pretty much my favorite character. She is exactly the kind of character that I have waited essentially all my life for. Uh, She is a a queer Latina character uh, that is allowed to be human in such touching and beautiful and vulnerable 
and poetic ways uh, while also just like allowing her to not be poetic to begin with like she's messy and she's angry and she's sad and she's all these things um, and I just think she is one of the best characters not only in the game but across the medium and I think people should look at her and just sort of really like study her really analyze all the effort and the heart and the thematic resonance that she has as a character uh, with the rest of the game and like just learn to write more characters like her because I think I think the industry sorely needs more characters like Judy and for all the flaws that cyberpunk may have Judy is absolutely not one of them uh, this entire episode at least on Ken and I's part since we we had some doubts before starting recording with Eric uh, but so he's on shaky ground right now uh, but at least from Ken and I we're gonna get really into Judy we're gonna get like probably even a little emotional about her and all the ways mm. that she speaks to us as a character well, well now that now that the mics are hot i will say <laughs> that i think judy alvarez the character is definitely one of the best characters in this game okay, uh be safe like I'm putting the shotgun away <laughs> as as far as the actual stuff that happens around judy and the quests mm -hmm. that we're about to go through and stuff maybe a little bit shakier Maybe yes. there's some stuff to unpack here, <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, I think Judy as a character definitely embodies a facet of this game I wish I had seen the first time I played through because, um, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it, but um, I think we should just get into it. We should just start talking about the quests now because uh, oh, the first one is... On. Sorry, but uh -huh. like, yeah. Ken, what are your feelings on Judy just to make sure that we yeah. lay the, <laughs> the groundwork for everyone mm -hmm. here? Uh, I think she embodies a lot of what I feel the game is missing in basically any other instance. Um, mm -hmm. With like, she she is a character that has like a sense of hope that feels like Night City is just completely devoid of, and talks about like very complicated feelings about being in a place that you have some attachment to and like the people around you, but also just feeling like everything about it is very alienating and like it feels very hard to like find your place, like find your sense of home here, and. Mm -hmm. That's something that like Cyberpunk has been kind of like broadly something that have been like really reflecting on, and we'll get into you know the, the, the specifics of how she talks about this stuff later. But, like Cyberpunk is all about like how you know this city is this completely like uninhabitable thing that just chews people up and spits them out, and to have a character like Judy who really just kind of embodies it, like things don't have to be this way, and you know reaching that point where you finally are at the point where you're like things, I don't, like I don't have to simply accept things for as I've been told that they have to be. Um, all those things I feel like are really well embodied in her in a way that no other character in the game really is. And so for just on that alone, she's like a bright spot for me in this game. And yeah, and we'll get into like the, the nitty gritty of all the stuff that she kind of deals with here. And ultimately like how I think, in spite of everything I just said, I do think her story, as Eric was kind of alluding to, does end up feeling kind of wrapped into the, that same cynicism. But as she persists through it, that is what kind of has kept her. Like she has a very special place in my heart among the characters in these games that do, um, that do resonate with me, and I have, I have kind of like kept with me in the years since I first played it. Absolutely. Um, we we got to start with 
I, so, so one of the things that I really dig about companions in this game is the way that, and this is through some updates and stuff that they had added this to, but uh, being able to like keep in touch with them between missions and things like that. I think in some cases it got a little frustrating as Ken was watching me play through some of these segments. Uh, there's a lot of like, okay, now you have to wait six in-game hours to receive a text, and then six hours later you can receive a call, which will start the next uh, mission. And I don't like that stuff. I think that stuff can get annoying in a way mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel... By, by way of trying to feel natural, it feels almost artificial. Um, yes. It's like, oh, well, we're going to have it so this stuff feels real because there's time taking place between things but then having these very arbitrary restrictions ends up feeling more like somebody has gone in and and mandated this amount of time <laughs> that must pass for the the quest to go through and so it comes right. all the way back around to feeling very like enforced and rigid rather mm. than natural but right like sometimes i'd be texting the minute after and then sometimes you're gonna wait three business days to hear from me. <laughs> it's not every six hours like mandated like, yeah goodbye. like whoever thought of that system did not account for the very real ways in which we communicate like my view was leaving i was just gonna say my view was leaving that cottage and then on the way like walking away was already texting judy <laughs> <laughs> and i think there's something to be said for i think they're trying to encourage players to just continue to like explore and do other things and that is something that we have kind of had an issue with over the years with this show is that like the way we try to cover and talk about things ends up kind of going against the way that the game is structured like we had that with Mass Effect and Drawn and you know it generally is the open world games where this happens the most because like you have all these developers that are you know doing different formats and kind of like rolling out quests and content and when we're trying to like very much hone in on one character we kind of have to like you know do a lot of time skipping like you know a whole day to get a phone call and that's why I was like I was telling Eric like don't start any of the other companion quests like on top of each other so there's no overlap because then like say you'll you'll be doing Judy's quests and then but you'll get the call, the call that you'll get in the designated six hours that the game is you know going through Pan Am will be the one that calls you and start, you're doing something on her quest so I was like hey like do all of the Judy stuff first and then go do all Pan Am stuff and then all of Rivers and then all of Carrie's like not like doing your best to like I guess game the system so it's not giving you other quest lines than the ones that you're actually wanting because I remember that happening a lot when I was playing the very first time you know and, and I like you know these systems were less uh, like n known and understood as you know happens when a game is out for a long time and I was just playing through that first time and, like literally just, like running circles around Night City trying to get Carrie or Judy to call me and then they would call over each other and like I would just have to like interrupt one quest line to go to the other and so like I get it I get what they're going for. They want you know, to have these chunks of times where you're not allowed to do one thing, so you're encouraged to go do other things. But it's also like, what if I only want to do those quests? What if that's mm. the thing I wanted to spend my, my day doing? And now i got to turn out like 30 minutes of actual real-world time trying to get this game to pop another quest. It's something that sounds really good on a bullet point on a PowerPoint slide, but the second you implement it in a game, I think it just starts to feel rough and artificial and very needlessly obtuse like mm -hmm. literally just segmenting off the same way that i think the delamain concept is kind of interesting but then the second you start to play this game and you're in the middle of trying to do another quest it's like hey it's delamain i got a taxi cab near you go check it out and i'm like mm -hmm. shut up delamain <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's uh 
and then a taxi slams into the side of you. It's like, the cake is a lie. I'm sorry. I'm going to make fun of Delamain every episode this season. <laughs> um, but but with Judy, uh, her stuff starts off with uh, kind of centered around the Voodoo Boys stuff, um, giving us an update on Evelyn's condition, just kind of checking in and all that. I also did a phone call that I think is optional. I'm not sure, but you can just kind of like talk to her and yeah. get updates on, on how things are going and ask her about herself and all that. Um, but then the, the quest line for Judy specifically uh, starts with both sides now, which is uh, she calls V and says like, Hey, something's happened. Come to my apartment does not elaborate on what's up. And we, we go there, we use the intercom, and, and we get in, and, and Judy's like, I'm in the bathroom, and we go in, and content warning um, mm. for, I'm just going to, like, put a blanket content warning here right now for um, assault, sexual assault, self-harm, a lot of things, um, probably drug abuse in some ways. Uh, just a lot of bad Suicide. things are going to be discussed in this episode. Uh, so blanket content warning moving moving forward. Uh, for I know we are we are talking about an M-rated game and a game that is supposed to be over the top and very like in your face and ah all the time. But I bring this up also because this is the quest that made me not want to do any more Judy's quests the first time around. Mm. After I mm. saw what this game did to Evelyn, which is. Judy is in the bathroom with Evelyn, and Evelyn has uh, slashed her wrists in the tub and uh, has has bled out and died. Um, that is how this quest line starts. And the second I saw this, I was like, cool. I don't think I like this game. <laughs> I don't think this is a very good game. Um, I still kind of feel that way when I when I played it again this time because... We've, we've talked a lot about it on the show, the way that Evelyn is just kind of the, the, the punchline in some ways to everything that yes. happens in, in Night City. Like, something bad, Evelyn's going to have a bad time. Like, mm -hmm. what, what could possibly go worse? Evelyn's dead, and they still find ways to make the things that happen to her worse. They yes mm -hmm. and more of the things that happen to her after she's already dead. Um, so I and then, like, get right that off the, my chest. And then, like, I, right at the start, uh, Johnny Silverhand pops out in oh, fucking head and is like... Fuck Johnny for this entire quest line. I have never wanted to turn a feature off in a game more than turn off Keanu Reeves in this fucking quest line. <laughs> right. Because, like, he, he makes a comment, like, oh, you know, to express her gratitude to you for saving her, she does. And, like, it gives you, like, a very succinct interrupt to just be like, stop talking. And... It was, well, we haven't really talked much about the V voice actors in this season yet, but um, they're, both of their deliveries for male and female, they're, they're I mean, they're succinct, but like they're a little bit different, like where female V sounded very, you know, angry, of course, but like I appreciated the way that male V was like so deadpan when he said it because he was not, like it, it, it allowed me to like kind of project that like my V was so in the moment of what was actually happening that like he didn't even have, like he wasn't even like giving himself the, the moment to like really even acknowledge Johnny and all the bullshit he was doing like with any sort of you know anger or venom just being like stop talking I like don't like I'm not entertaining this right now there's something way more important going on here and I, I appreciated that at least it just feels like a really unnecessary comment there's a lot about Johnny and just this game in general I mean just in this very episode we'll go on later 
in the episode to talk about a really necessary thing that they added that serves no actual purpose besides just being a moment of cruelty um Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't feel like this adds anything to johnny's death as a character uh it 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 just feels cruel and edgy Mm. for the sake of being there and that's unfortunately just a lot about this game and it sucks that so much of it is directed to the women and particularly Mm. the woman in the cast that is the sex worker uh it's really dejecting and upsetting and i i think we'll go on to talk about it uh in a moment Mm, uh but yeah just i i hate that moment and i'm glad the game lets you interrupt it but i i have to wonder why it's it's there at all it just really doesn't add anything to his character or to the situation it's really lacking in empathy right like it it almost feels like it's not even meant to like add to his character It's, it's just more to like reiterate who he is which is this person who is constantly like looking down on everybody and everything, and that's you know as we're gonna talk about this episode, that is his feeling towards Judy, who is like one of the only people in this city that gives a shit about other people that like wants to try and leave things better than she found them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the entire time he's just like, you know, oh, I'm I'm so annoyed by this person and all of her, you know, everything that she's trying to do, and I feel like a lot of the giant stuff as I said before gets so much better later, but I also like because of how you know, cyberpunk has these things where things can happen in a different order. I always think about, like, what if I got into, like, some of that later stuff in this game where Johnny starts to have, like, a little bit more empathy or, like, just, you know, it starts to kind of, like, drop this facade of indifference that he has with V for the majority of the game. And then I came here and then he's saying this shit again. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I just, well, we'll talk a lot about Johnny, especially when we get to the Johnny episode, but this was an episode, like, like quest line where I felt he was just there to be the Joker character right. and, and to right. be that like sneering in the background. There were multiple times where I wanted to just like download a mod that would turn Johnny off. <laughs> like he wasn't adding anything. He was only detracting from genuinely good things that were happening in this game. And I was like, for the love of God, cyberpunk already has a problem with giving you the good stuff and you're going to mm-hmm. get in your own way. Once you start delivering it to right. incredible. Um, anyways, so Judy, tells us like we can kind of be like you know check her pulse what's going on what happens judy was only gone an hour to go get some groceries or run some errands or something and we can we can grill her you know we have the option i did be like did you check the pulse like i tried to i i tend to be like a person who is like let's you know how can i help what can we do and so i did some of that but um she's evelyn is gone and uh judy says that she's going to call Night City PD uh, and ask us to carry Evelyn to the bed. Uh, once again, Johnny doesn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> and um, as as we're putting Evelyn down in the bed, uh, we hear Judy's side of the phone call, and and she starts out calling it an accidental death, later clarifying it's a suicide. Um, and the NCPD like pulls a bunch of bullshit with her. Um, she ends up threatening to like torch the station <laughs> to get them to show up, which hell that. yeah. <laughs> um, She's just so good. Yeah. I, I was absolutely, she comes back and she was like, you know, was that too much or whatever? I was like, I don't know. That wasn't enough. In my yeah. opinion, <laughs> could have gone further. Um, which the game like give me the option to be like sympathetic to the NCPD and be like, oh, they're, they're swamped right now. Or, yeah, or like yeah, say that, that like death is just like a regular occurrence. And I was like, 
This game fucking loves cops. We'll, we'll talk about that a lot in the River episode, but this game loves cops. Mm. Yeah, it's... I do think there's something interesting to explore in the idea of, like, the NCPD. Like, the one interesting contrast here that I, I liked was they bring up Trauma Team there. Mm. And I've been thinking about that since the beginning episode where it's like trauma team is this really interesting idea of what if the EMS and the police were privatized and then given out to the best of the best but obviously that would siphon off any like decent resources and people from the actual forces themselves and also encourage those forces to just not do anything because they don't have to trauma team's going to take care of the ones that would get them in trouble the most right like the high profile mess ups trauma team's going to take care of that so what i was thinking about it through the voodoo boys i was thinking about it through here where it's like the ncpd has no actual reason to really be an effectual police force Mm -hmm. in night city and and so this phone call really sticks out to me as like i kind of wish there was an option that was like yeah, of course they don't give a shit. <laughs> Have you seen Night City? Like, the trauma team takes care of the 1% at the top, and then the rest of it is all just chaos at the bottom, and there's no real reason for them to police that at all. So, of course, they're not going to care about something that happened on the street. This is something that we got to take care of, which I think ends up being the motivating factor for a lot of Judy's questline going forward is no one else is going to fix this. We're going to have to fix this ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't think it ever goes that deep with trying to explore what NCPD means in 2077. Instead, it's just like, well, they are really hard work. There's a lot of guns in Night City. And it's like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Like, please, if you're going to try and touch on these subjects, go like an inch deeper. But uh, I, I, I will say like to the game's credit, a lot of that is more in like River storyline and other things that are coming. Not not saying that it's necessarily better or like that it comes to like a better conclusion, but like those yeah. are more explicitly explored elsewhere. Yeah, and I'm interested to see what that stuff looks like because I do think I still have a lot of questions about this world and like how it's going to represent the idea of government and state and policing in a city that largely seems to go without any of that. Um, I do think it's really weird that unless you have accidentally crashed into another car or something, you have really not seen the NCPD up to this point. Like, it's all been private security in some way or another. Arasaka security, trauma team, that sort of thing. But NCPD is largely absent from this game uh, unless you just cause chaos in the streets. So it's it's weird. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Much to think about. Uh, <laughs> Um, so anyways, we, we have a flash forward here to where, uh, after, uh, Judy says she wants to put some better clothes on Evelyn, uh, for when NCPD shows up, we kind of flash forward to sitting on the rooftop. Uh, we pull out the cigarette case that was Evelyn Parker's and, um, Judy can bum a cig off of us. Um, I've never denied her the cigarette. Did you do this, Ken? No, I let her have it. You let her have it? Okay, yeah. 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 Come on. Uh, You do have a note here that you want to talk a little bit about Evelyn Parker before we literally bury the story of Evelyn Parker. (laughs) I don't know. It's because, I mean, this is the holistic story of Evelyn Parker, that she exists as a springboard 
for a larger conversation about sex work in Night City and like how Judy wants to make things better for and like just like you know but not getting specifics yet but just like she, she exists to be a guided tour of everything bad that can happen to somebody in Night City and it, it's frustrating because I was thinking about um a, 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 there's a similar storyline in Persona 5 where mm-hmm. a character is the victim of uh, a lot of things that are wrong in the school that those characters are in and she does like try to take her own life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the entire point like of that storyline is that it acts as a springboard for another character but on is the person who like you know is is basically like in Judy's shoes in that story but her friend does get to live to see the end and like you know live to see a better like you know the the things that brought her to that point are taken out of power and you know there's just like an inkling of hope there which this entire storyline just doesn't feel like it has because I don't like like do you have to take somebody to that point to have the conversations that the game is trying to have here with what it like what sex workers need to be safe in Night City because I don't think you do I appreciate the story that follows here to some degree like I think it, it, there are going to be some hangups that I have as we go on but it just feels like again Cyberpunk re- revelling in its cynicism in a way that dehumanizes the people in it yeah um, I, I, I think one of the things that stuck out to me was the fact that like Evelyn's story effectively ends. We are kind of dealing with the, you know, ramifications that it's had on the people who cared for her the most. Um, this, this scene up on the rooftop has its own stuff. We'll unpack here in just a second, but it, the, the story then goes, Oh shit, wait, we wanted to do a whole storyline about clouds and Judy and stuff. So like, what if we, go back and say actually we discovered more virtues in Evelyn's memory that reveals even more horrible things happened to her while she was there and then that can be the reason why something happens and it's like you could have reasonably gotten to a place where you just say hey just the very fact that this dude who works at clouds sold off some Mm -hmm. girl to like basically a ripper shop is bad enough and that the mocks probably shouldn't like that that seems like something the mocks would not be down with in the first place and and we'll we'll get into some of that as well as, as we go on here but um it's they were like nah nah we gotta make sure that like judy's got a personal stake in this and so does v so let's do more terrible things to the character we've already removed from the story for for drama points it just feels like I don't know, like someone watched Game of Thrones and they were like, you know what's great about Game of Thrones? Everybody stabbing and dying and doing terrible things all the time, like the shock value of it. And it's and getting mm-hmm. raped, not to mention that. Like, Game of Thrones loved its sexual assault. Oh, and God, yeah. It feels yeah. like cyberpunk loves it in this moment because, like Ken says, it is a game that revels in its cynicism. Uh, And paradoxically, it also tries to sell the idea that it's a game about hope by the end. Um, And if you're trying to tell a story about hope amidst despair, punching the most marginalized in society is not the way 
that you do it. It is actually the exact opposite of what you want to do when telling this kind of story. Because if no one at the bottom has any hope, then what does that mean? Does hope only exist for people at the top, the 1% mm-hmm. that the NCPD protects? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like you've all said, you know, this is just a a really com- uncomfortable plot line in general um, that we'll go on to talk about this scene in particular in just a moment. But it, it's it is really upsetting because it feels like obviously Judy and Evelyn are meant to be complementary characters not just in their actual storylines mm-hmm. and their closeness but just in the themes that they explore um, both are ultimately as we'll go on to talk about very different people taking largely different paths to achieving the same goal of leaving Night City um, and both are women but they are marginalized through factors beyond just being women right like Evelyn is a woman who is a sex worker um Mm -hmm. often in society there are few ways for a society and its laws and its politics to treat you worse than when you are a sex worker uh Mm -hmm. Judy is a woman but she is also marginalized in the sense that she grew up poor that she is a woman of color that she is queer um and so you have these two women who are marginalized on different planes uh, besides just being women in a patriarchal society Uh, but one of them makes it out and the other doesn't and we can ultimately chalk this up uh, like we've said to to luck and life and its natural tragedies but that doesn't mean that it it had to be that way it feels like Mm -hmm. they could have like we've said uh, they could have just explored this through other means besides literally taking Evelyn out of the equation and ultimately after thinking about this for so long as someone who like I've said before just really cares about Judy she's my favorite character ever and it just feels like the factor that differentiates them at the end of the day is Evelyn was a sex worker and she had this coming to her while Mm. Judy was not a sex worker and the ways in which this quest line with Judy continues on and the way that Evelyn is constantly painted as an inevitable casualty of Night City only seems to reassert that and by the end of the day it feels more like Judy is explicitly rewarded for being a good and decent person as someone who has solidarity with the sex workers of Night City um, in a society in which sex work is just commodified to the extreme, uh, but that she's also rewarded for not being one of them. And right. I, I have issues with that. Yeah. I, it feels yeah. like the, the game just really just loves to paint Evelyn as not only an inevitable casualty, but also just like, well, she, she was the sex work. She, she had a commentary mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it's really upsetting and this game could have been so much better for, in so many ways uh, that this podcast is dedicated to exploring <laughs> along with its virtues but the Avalon storyline is just one glaring example of where it really could have could have done better and it chose not to and it it only hinders everything around it right I feel like it, it it's one of the, the moments in the game that like best 
kind of exemplifies the game's like ethos in a way for the worse. Like just because it is completely devoid of hope in a way that so many like that Johnny Silrand is in the way that like he always is talking about how every like effort somebody puts into making something better is just ultimately going to crash and burn. And yeah. I just and I I still kind of like like, I'm not to, again, not to get too ahead of ourselves. I still kind of broadly feel that way, even in the way that the story ends. Um, maybe not to, like, the full ex- extent that I do. I, I guess, like, you know what? I'm just going to shut up. We're going we're gonna to get to it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's, there's another thing that happens while we're on this rooftop that is maybe another one of... We, we talked about previously the... Um, thing that you had with with evelyn when you bring evelyn back to judy's place the first time and you can set her down and there's an option to like um i forgot what it was like what the specific dialogue was but i had interpreted it as like putting a hand on her shoulder or something and the game was like oh you want to put your hand on a hip and i was like no god and then johnny popped up and was like haha you hit the button and i was like fuck this game (laughs) um it, it feels like there's another weird dialogue choice here where you sit down with Judy after all this happened and you have a couple different options. And one of them is like, there's like the stay strong, you know, just be, you know, you're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. There's, um, I don't know what to say, which is what I went with. And I actually, it's even though it's option. like, it's, it's messy, but it at least feels like the most honest to real life. Uh, sort of option you could have here because like yeah what what do you say like um and 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 also like it doesn't suddenly recenter the conversation or anything like that it's just like look i'm here for you there's like no words to express what's happened but i'm i am here if you need somebody um or you can say that evelyn gave up which is super fucked up don't know why they put that in there that's weird what a week! Know, like, for, the entire for... like, the the whole like choice there feels kind of like I, it feels like a, a snapshot of the way that this game even talks about suicide as a thing. Like it mm-hmm. like it it acknowledges it as a reality, but when you get to the point where you kind of the game asks you like, what did it all mean? You're just kind of like wave like throw your fucking hands up and just like I don't fucking know. Like no silver lining. Like I mean, there's not, not to say there's even a silver lining here, but like. In terms of like how you can talk to somebody about it, it just feels like the game doesn't know what to say at that point. Yeah. Right, like the best option, and because judging by Judy's reaction, like she reacts relatively well to you being like, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. And she appreciates that honesty. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you choose to stay strong, it, it feels so dismissive and cliche and tone deaf because there's no actual effort behind it and uh, Ken was mentioning the the discrepancies and what I believe are two relatively strong performances even though like I feel like uh, Sheremy Lay's V is a bit stronger than uh, male V Uh, but like she has a very sarcastic edge to her voice which gives Uh A lot of credibility to V's character so far as a mostly blank slate that is defined by edginess. It, it's it's a weird mm. character, um, mm-hmm. 
But, like, her voice does have that sarcastic edge, and so when she says stay strong, it it feels so bad. Like, I hate this choice so much, and it makes me cringe every time that it comes mm. up, because most people do pick the option of staying strong, because it's like, when you're faced with three relatively shitty options, the best one seems to be the explicit acknowledgement of, like, hey you'll get through this but it's also like couldn't we have better options and people like pick that option with good intentions but when v actually says the dialogue it's Mm. like oh that that's it that that's all that you're gonna tell to this woman literally having an emotional breakdown because she just saw her best friend bleeding out in the tub because as she goes on to talk about she was sexually assaulted she was raped and she got Uh so little when she deserved so much more than this awful city and society gave her like it's it's really upsetting it's just Mm. a scene as a lot uh Uh, it's it's been quite a week here at Normandy FM for bad dialogue, because I feel like we should record this for pod posterity at this point, Ken. Uh, Ken has been on a tear through Night City, uh, just eating all the fashion that exists in, <laughs> in Cyberpunk 2077. And that has meant going to many, many clothing stores in the process. And uh, I, there is a recurring thing that they kind of do with their shopkeepers in Cyberpunk, which is they all seem to have a show me what's in your wares or whatever and then like one extra line of dialogue like somebody sat down was like well every shopkeeper's got to have some backstory so (laughs) there's literally always one line of hey tell me about yourself for all of these different shopkeepers in night city and one that ken found was this this woman who is working at a clothing store and you walk in you're like hey what's what's going on what's good you can ask her, you know, what wares she has for sale, or you can say that if she wanted to show off the clothing better, she could stand to lose some weight. <laughs> and uh, Ken sent this to me. It was like, yo, Cyberpunk, what the fuck? <laughs> and my V has been the, uh, the, the test dummy for all of the worst interactions in the game so far. So while we were playing, I drove on over to hit that option and see what it said because obviously ken did not want to say that to somebody in his game so i i went and did it in mine and uh the response was just like hey more body means more clothes to wear or something like that like you can show off more threads if you're a bigger person and i just wanted to eject this game from my hard drive (laughs) i feel Um, like the game just needs to be more comfortable in silence sometimes yeah yeah I I mean, I don't know. It's like that that specific thing is like, I don't know how or why that was even a thought that ran through somebody's head. Like, we're going to specifically make this character who's on the heavier side to put this fucking thing in here. Um, Because, like, I I wonder, what is the chicken and the egg of that decision? Like, we're going to make this character and then, like, look at them long enough and be like, how can we tear this person down in the, like, the 30 seconds that they are on screen? Some um, of the other ones are good. Like, there's if you go back to the person who T-Bug sends you to to teach you how to net run and jack into things in the first place, and you go back to them later in the story, you can tell them, like, hey, like, did you hear about what happened to T-Bug? And you can talk about it. And there's one 
Uh, there's a shopkeeper right outside Judy's place that is a former Tiger Claw, and you can ask him about why the Tiger Claws have a thrift store out in the middle of the street, and there's, like, some flavor dialogue there. There's, like, there are other ones that do this idea fine, and then there's just one time when they're like, I don't know, let's put a fat joke in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this game. This fucking game. Yeah, so... We, back on the rooftop, uh, Judy tells us that she ran some diagnostics um, and, and found some more stuff in Evelyn's hardware, her, her brain dance virtues, which even at this point, it feels like the story is struggling to <laughs> pull the threads together about why they're specifically going back to this, because you can be like, that's weird. Why would she be recording any of this? Like, why would any of this data be stored? She wasn't rolling at the time. And Judy's just like, I don't know. It was all in there. Who's to say? When she talks <laughs> about the possibility that Evelyn might have used, you know, her brain dance implants to, like, relive other memories in the midst of it happening. Mm-hmm. And so and... that would have, like, recorded the data right. of what was happening at the time, too. Yeah. But it was like a, a survival mechanism. Right. If she could like dissociate from what was happening in the moment, mm. she figured that she would like survive it. Still feels very like they are reaching to me. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you find out that Woodman. The, so we get a firmer timeline of the terrible things that happened to Evelyn Parker. Um, that during that time that Evelyn was at Clouds at Woodman's place and still messed up from the net running attack that Woodman uh, sexually assaulted and raped her. So that's a thing. We're just adding that onto the list retroactively. <sighs> um, yeah, it's, you can like ask for details. I didn't, that, that seems right. like you probably shouldn't do that. Um, and Judy like clearly doesn't want to sit with it that long. Like, yeah, yeah. She, like clearly like, does not want to talk about this. Beyond, like, acknowledging that it happened to you. Yeah, she's, like, visibly expressing anxiety and tension over the conversation topic. Like, she's clearly dealing with some stuff, and so asking for, like, details seems like a bad idea. So, um, yeah, it's... She wants to do something, but we don't know what yet. In the meantime, she just needs some time to think and, and be alone, so we'll give her that. Um... We, we take off and uh, wait for us to get a text first. Judy tells us that she has um, buried Evelyn. It's going to get shit-faced later. Hell yeah. Um, and then we get a follow-up Except call. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We love it. Uh, we get a follow-up call. Uh, Judy's got a plan. She wants to, to reform clouds. Okay, cool. Awesome. She's got... The, the kind of drive to want to make it like uh, Lizzie's bar. Um, but the mocks aren't really on board with the idea, um, which is going to become a thing for me specifically where I'm like, this really seems like something the mocks mm. should be on board with. And we aren't really given a good reason why other than that Judy. And I think it's Susie. Um, who's the Mox mm-hmm. leader or whatever? Yes. Uh, yeah. They just don't get along. Like that's it. Like oh, we we're not friends. So uh, this this is they don't they don't want to help us out, which just feels like they did that to to put 
storyline limitations on this thing and and not have it be like a full mox takeover of a tiger claw gang uh run club but whatever um we do have to go talk to uh maiko maeda um who runs clouds um she's kind of the string puller there Mm. for the string pullers um and we're, we're gonna go get some help from her and right away and throughout the entire mission it's it's painfully obvious that judy and maiko had a thing together mm-hmm. like before judy basically up and tells you at the end of this mission x factor um it, it's, it's it is x factor obviously... like like x yeah. like, like, like x girlfriend ex do, do you get it oh they're such good friends um it is i i will say that like one of the because i am playing a lady v and i am romancing judy there was such a good extra layer of tension in the scene because you walk in and immediately like the the air is frigid right Mm. like there is clearly maiko knows like, 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 you know that something has happened between Maiko and Judy. Judy knows that you know something has happened <laughs> between Maiko and Judy. And Maiko clearly can tell that something is in the works between V and Judy. And so there is just all of these, like, synapses firing across the room. With, <laughs> there like, is un- so much catty energy it's happening so good. in this room. And it's so good because I don't like cattiness. When you modify the cattiness into sapphic cattiness, <laughs> oh, that's, when, that's when it gets good. Like, I'm there, and I am just picking the meanest options possible, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm asserting my territory here. Not that Judy is mine. She, she belongs to herself. She is an independent woman. She can choose me or leave me, just like she left you, Maiko. But at the end of the day, like, I can tell y'all got history, but that's in the past. I'm Judy's present. And we all, everyone in this room knows it. It was just so nice to, like, just have that moment of being mean just because everyone in the room is gay. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting to me because, like, I mean, I'm, I'm playing male V, obviously. And so it, when I came into this conversation, it, it felt like I wasn't in the room. And, and like, mm-hmm. and not in terms of, like, like, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, like, they were very much focused on each other, and, like, the cattiness felt very directed. And so when it, when Maiko does look to me and is like, what do you think of this? Because, like, she's very dismissive of everything she was saying, despite the fact that Evelyn fucking died. Um, and then she, like, she looks at me like, what do you think? And I was like, I could be, you know, I could really, you know, get in here with all this cattiness, but I was just, like, really just start trying to support Judy's idea and be like, no, hear her out. This is important. Although she was, she was at the very beginning mad at me because I um, shot up clouds on the way out because I didn't get Eric's cool corpo option to talk to Woodman. Um, so she was aware of me and she, she was kind of, uh, she makes a lot of snide remarks throughout this towards me in terms of like being a killer. Um, and I don't know if that's kind of universal or not, but that was as much acknowledgement as she gave me. And so it is interesting to hear that, like, there's this other version of the scene that I didn't see that has, like, a very different, not even necessarily tone, but just, like, a dynamic that's going on that acknowledges your V and possible relationship with Judy. I love that. 
I'm now curious what happens if you kill Woodman during that initial mission. What changes here in this mission? I wonder if mm-hmm. you just don't have the optional thing that happens at the end. But, um, huh? Might Google that later. Check yeah, there's that out. A, there's a lot of stuff in like, and as as I was watching you play, like there's a lot of points of variation in terms of like things that you want that you can or don't talk about that do have to eventually come up at some point and it kind of mm-hmm. just like changes the order of operations of how their relationship plays out which is which is cool yeah yeah um anyways the actual showdown happening here is not just over uh judy but <laughs> um it's it's over the uh clouds which is pretty much controlled by the tiger claws um the tiger claws basically use maiko as this um installed power everything kind of comes through her but uh maiko is like well i can't do anything about it because the tiger claws are on everything and i'll just get thrown out like that's uh maiko is very indifferent about what has happened to evelyn about everything that has gone on maiko is like oh you used to be you know way more steeled about this and and even maiko like keeps offering judy a job and stuff like that she just does not give a shit and um at at one point maiko even calls judy unstable um which is when we can kind of just like cut the conversation off and be like nah nah we're done here um it's it's very tense um and and uh maiko eventually is like look you can either like leave the way you came in or the tiger claws can force you to get out uh i suggest the former and uh she'll pretend that you weren't here for old time's sake which again if you're playing as a v that is trying to romance judy just feels like one last little barb one last oh. little <laughs> nail um but as we are leaving and, and i'm guessing this is probably where the variation takes place uh she mentions by the way uh, Woodman will be alone on the maiden's floor in just a little bit, you know, just so I'm not, I'm not entirely blowing you off. Like there is just letting you know, he's going to be alone on this floor pretty soon. If you want to yeah, do something with that you information. Wanna, you want to play cards yeah. or just have Should a not, nice chat yeah. about the have a, Yeah, have a little chat. I, I'm not going to say that like completely redeemed Maiko in my eyes, but I was like, okay, like you at least get this much. Like, like she, for, for Maiko. the severity of what happened. For, for my go, this degree. is probably more like she she did a quick uh, opportunity cost assessment and was like, this is going to cost me very little and potentially solve a problem in the process. So, like, it really does not, like, disadvantage me at all to just let this dude get murked on the maintenance floor. <laughs> so. Right. I, I think it's less that she looks at the Avalon situation and is like, oh, there's some part of my heart that, like... Right feels bad for her it's more like she knows that she's just as much of a tool to woodman at the end of the day she knows that you know she is the unofficial like runner of the show but at the end of the day she's officially still a doll so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is just you know uh, if we eliminate woodman for her it just makes it a little easier for her to get what she wants but it's not that she actually cares about Evelyn or even Judy since she had the nerve to call her unstable which really bothered me and I wish we could have explicitly stuck up for her when mm-hmm. that is said just uh, the game allows you to interject in moments that don't feel necessary and then in moments that feel necessary mm. it doesn't let you interject and it's so upsetting uh. 
Um, the silence at, to speaking up ratio in this game <laughs> is off. <laughs> off the charts, yeah. As, as we're leaving uh, and heading to the elevator, we can have a conversation with Judy where Judy kind of finally fills us in on the background of her and Maiko where Judy's like, oh, you know, I was really... Um, that obviously they had history. Judy um, used to be close with Maiko, had a crush on her, but then turned out that, you know, Maiko was the, the cold and calculating person that we have just seen. Um, and uh, it's, it's very much like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm loving the commentary in our notes right now because <laughs> it's very much like, Oh, you know, she was pretty lonely, and uh, we all make bad decisions when we're lonely. And I was just like, I don't know, Maiko, position of power, um, definitely, like, cold calculating, but definitely seems, like, intimidating in a way that, like, yeah, I could see how why people would definitely be into that, for sure. So, towards her. Yeah. Because, I mean, in spite of all, she's a charismatic person. Yes. I don't know. I'd be like, girl. What you see Michael to begin with? Like we, uh, in all seriousness, we do not get an idea, or we don't really get hints. Like later on, we can look at messages that Michael and Judy exchanged yeah. uh, after they broke up and in the process of like separating and going different ways. But I, I don't think the game gives us enough of a hint at the underlying humanity in Michael. Um, and it sort of potentially squanders the ability for us to see that permanently later on. And so I'm like, girl, like, I know we all make bad decisions when we're lonely. And obviously you are pretty lonely. But like, what did you see in that bitch? Like, if you liked Maiko, if your standards were Maiko, then, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you're into me, then what are where are your standards in the present like have they gotten mm. vastly better or have they just not improved you must what, what, it, what does it say about me that you were that you were at one point into this woman but it, i do think like there there is something to be said about charisma and just like the way that people and, and you know granted like judy even says like she once she like really started to understand how manipulative she is it's kind of like that was when things started to fall apart and so you know acknowledging that she's manipulative in one way means that she's probably manipulative in others as well and that was sort of my feeling is that like I, I imagine that when all that was going on, Michael kinda like dragged Judy along for a lot of the ride. And right. you know, I I understand how those dynamics in a relationship come to be and I, I at least understood that even if because you know I mean, like people have, you know, th- where they're in very manipulative relationships and then they don't really process that until they get out and they are like really kind of like looking back on things and realizing realizing like, oh, that was manipulation. That was me being like gaslit in certain ways and you know a lot of that always just like that comes in retrospect more so than it does being in the moment uh-huh. you know what is in the moment uh murdering the shit out of <laughs> woodman <laughs> which um i'm just gonna go ahead and say you have to go do uh that's that's necessary i don't care if this game tries to later be like oh revenge never helps not helped in this yep. case um <laughs> we can get in the elevator and you we'd be like you know are we gonna go to the maintenance floor and you can kind of like foot around it and judy can even be honest with you and and you can kind of like poke and be like y- you want me to shoot him don't you and judy's like yes i want you to pump woodman full of lead and i was like cool 
that's all you had to say. I got you. I'll be right back. Thanks uh, you go down. Yeah, yeah. You you go down there together, but um, you can have this kind of standoff with him, um, where it sounds like Maiko has called him down there for a conversation, and you can kind of confront him about it. Um, and he just goes on to say the most scumbaggiest things and is like, oh, you should show me gratitude. And Judy just busts out a gun. It's like, here's my gratitude. Uh, and then you spend the next, I don't know, let's say two minutes just blasting this dude. Uh, I <laughs> I might have double and triple tapped and maybe like dropped a grenade on him just, you know, to ensure. Um, yeah, hey. f- fuck Woodman. <laughs> this yeah. dude fucking sucks. You can get back on the elevator afterwards and it gives you the option to be like, oh, revenge never helps because Judy's obviously like shaken by it. Or you can say the right option, which is, look, we just made the world a much better place. Like, we helped so many. I love the line, actually, that uh, V has here where uh, think of all the the people that didn't even know like that, that were going to be hurt by Woodman mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know they were in danger, and now they never will be. And I was like, hell yeah. yes. Oh. Hell yes. Where has this been for the last two missions? Mm-hmm. Um fantastic love that uh and and then judy's like okay i'm gonna work on a plan uh we got to come back with a real plan one that maiko can get behind and uh we'll figure something out because we're not we're not letting this go we're we're gonna take over clouds um so she's gonna talk to some dolls and we'll figure some stuff out yeah i mean just throughout a lot of judy's subplot you've like judy is probably the smartest character in this entire game like the game makes sure that you know that she's just one of the smartest people in this whole entire fucking city um and throughout this entire subplot you got the feeling that she remains really smart and she is right in her convictions but she's also quite impulsive because Mm -hmm. there there's a lot of danger involved here and I wouldn't label it as reckless since I do think she's putting a lot of thought and a lot of heart into this, but she's Mm -hmm. also like any other human who would be in her position, she's driven by anger and by so much grief. And and I think the juxtaposition here between her and Johnny in particular is really great because Johnny just continues to be a cynical, disillusioned asshole who cannot imagine a better world because of his grief Mm. but judy Mm. on the other hand exactly because of her grief is propelled to try and see a better world and to try to realize it even if it means that she has to suffer as she claws her way to it um even if she's being rational and kinder than anyone else and she's not being all that logical but maybe that doesn't matter as much when you've had your whole world ripped apart like Mm. maybe logic doesn't really matter so much when we're talking about people like i guess the logical response here would be like yeah woodman doesn't you know killing woodman wouldn't ease the feelings of wanting revenge like this is something she's going to have to live with for the rest of her life but as the game smartly goes on like that's all that it needs sometimes it just needs to go a little deeper than the surface level and it's adequate enough um i like you said i just really like that line of yeah it doesn't but think of all the people that this 
will save in the future and all the people that won't have to know suffering at his hands it's just like Mm -hmm. that's all that you need cyberpunk you just need Mm -hmm. that like you know going beyond the surface just a little bit Mm -hmm. and you could say something really poignant and really true it's it it just absolutely doesn't do that as much as it should but i'm glad they do it here and i think that's something to be said because like you know, up up until you know that moment where she wants to be rid of Woodman, she's she's very calculated and kind of trying to go about things the quote unquote right way because that is like what you know in in the real world when you want change to happen, it's always caught up in diplomacy and constantly having to fight for what you believe in and all of these really to some degree outdated systems and uh, it makes sense to me that like after she's you know stonewalled by Maiko that she's like okay I need to feel something immediate something that I'm not going to be uh you know pushed up like I'm not going to have this resistance against me trying to change things for the better and this is something I can do now and something that even if it's not going to get rid of the underlying problem it is at least something I can do in the moment and not constantly feel like I'm being caught up in all of these talks and all of this negotiating and all of these other things that I'm you know, the systems in place are telling me are the way that things have to be done. And so I, I, I like that in that it, it shows both, like, you know, that she can be, you know, very smart and, like, very, you know, methodical in what she's doing, but she is... It, it feels natural to have that level of frustration when that when that avenue doesn't work. What's something I can do in this other way? And in that way, I it is one of the moments where Cyberpunk acknowledges, like, yes, there are these systemic problems, but a lot of the problems also in the individuals that take advantage of the systems to do awful things and get away scot-free. And so I, I like that moment. And Cyberpunk is not a game about revenge in the way that, like, say, like, we, we had all season but the left is part two, which is a game about that. Where, so it feels like Cyberpunk's kind of feelings on revenge as a concept are very muddy. And a lot of that, mm-hmm. I think, also comes from it being a world game with different teams writing different quest lines and characters and not feeling like, you know, that same cohesion that something that's more focused does. But it, this was at least a moment where, like, it all just clicked for me. It felt like it, like, had ultimately the right message at the end that, like, yeah, Judy does not feel completely satisfied, but they can acknowledge that even with their dissatisfaction, something good has come from this. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a four-person podcast, Paul. Mm. Come here. You want to sit with me while we talk? Okay. Um, Is that Poe? Yeah, yeah. He oh. wants to be on the Judy episode. He hasn't been on the taste. Like, yeah. I feel like he... she's a cat person. Oh, absolutely. She is a lesbian, so. I was gonna make the joke. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely dog lesbians, but the odds are she seems like a cat person. So. Yeah. We no, no, Judy. Po. Judy strikes me as a cat person, hundred percent. She's got that huge desk of all her her shit for a cat to knock over. Yeah, it's like like Judy is a cat person. Pan Am is a dog person. Yeah, I think Carrie's a dog person. I would say Carrie's a dog person. Yeah, and and River is probably a cat person. Johnny's a dog person. J- Johnny is incapable. <laughs> Oh, actually, he might be one of those people that's just like, I hate animals. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Johnny is just incapable of caring for another human being. That's that's so his. So he must be also thing. incapable of caring about animals. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. He'd buy like uh, I don't know what what was the thing on Archer like the 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 puma or the lynx or whatever. He'd just buy like some exotic animal and then just not care for it, and all would come home every night with like special food and toys and shit. <laughs> Anyways. Back to Judy. <laughs> so Judy calls us eventually and tells us she's got a plan and also wants to know what we like on our pizza. And you know what? I like I like this little moment. Cyberpunk, a game that sometimes has little moments where you can be like, what do I like on my pizza? Including apparently a skill check for cool <laughs> for anchovies and avocado. Uh, really a cool people A&A. eat pizza with anchovies and avocado. I will say, I'm sad that we did not get the option to be, like, pineapple pizza. I and know, Judy right? would have reacted, like, oh, no, no pineapples. Or, oh, yes, pineapples. Like, I needed to know. Mm-hmm. I, I still need to know. Does Judy like pineapples on What is Judy's pizza? take on this debate? Judy yeah. likes pineapple on pizza. I feel like I, I, say, pretty... I would say because... I have good taste, and I like pineapple on pizza. And Judy must like pineapple mm. on pizza. That's how it works. And also, we're both queer Latinas, so like that's just how it works, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is our new uh, cyberpunk segment. Does Wait. the companion character like pineapple on pizza? We're gonna Do we ask all that every like time pineapple now? on pizza <laughs> in this room? I don't. Oh, I like pineapple. I have an opinion on it, yeah. really. I I don't prefer okay. it, but I like I don't like retch when I eat it. Uh, okay. it's a good time like I was I was saying this the other day that it's not that different from tomato when you get down to it it's basically the same thing it's a fruit it's acidic it's sweet like it's the same flavor profile as tomato which is already like what your pizza is slathered in so like why would pineapple make a difference but people are like oh my god that's a pineapple why is that on pizza because it's the same thing functions the same it's it I was gonna say I was gonna say <laughs> Eric the, the pizza already has tomatoes it's not like it already has pineapples the pineapple adds to the pizza exactly yes it's enhancing the flavor profile of the pizza and that's why you usually cut it with something savory like some canadian bacon or something like that it's going to give it that saltiness it's going to help you know back off some of the others it's good it's a good mix there's some thought that goes into the pineapple damn it (laughs) (laughs) i like how this is when poe decided to speak up Mm -hmm. gotta weigh in yeah yeah um and and so we we go over to meet at her place where it's not only going to be maiko coming over but also roxanne and tom from clouds um God, I really like your note here, Natalie, about how Tom and Roxanne, if you have been romancing uh, Judy at this point, Tom and Roxanne have already probably heard about V, and there's definitely that energy of walking into a room where you know that people are, like, exchanging glances with each other and stuff. Right? Like, I could just, because my note here is that I have a very poisonous romance slash fanfic wired brain, so I, I just really love and i love when this is included in judy v slash v fanfics where like judy can obviously not shut up about v as she's talking about the plans like roxanne Mm -hmm. and tom know this woman very well they're all good friends like there has to be a point where judy just does not stop mentioning v in every other sentence and they're like 
this lesbian <laughs> is in love with that chick and they're just like when v walks in they're just like looking at each other and trying to suss out you know approve maybe disapprove find out how they figure v in judy's life and i just love that on that note like and i guess this is jumping ahead and i don't know i actually don't know if eric would have went to see this are there like okay so there's a point later where we can go through like judy's emails and shit later the shadow broker style is there anything in there about the relationship that has anything like this where she's talking about v I have not. I haven't done that. I respect privacy. Jesus. (laughs) Well, I don't. So I'm going to jump in. (laughs) Uh, uh, No, it's just uh, emails that she has with Michael and different business clients. Like the most substantial thread of emails is just her exchanging emails with Michael and them being Mm. like really mad at each other over the breakup, obviously. And yeah, just toxic messages galore but also <laughs> judy putting her foot down and stating right. like what she deserves and i love that for her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she deserves me as <laughs> i walk into this room and tom and roxanne decide if what she deserves is me <laughs> yeah they, they kind of it does feel like they almost size you up in a way like it very much feels like you are kind of being examined a little bit when you walk in maybe this is just like the perception that i get now as playing a character that is romancing judy versus someone who's just like i'm judy's pal versus like i'm judy's prospective love interest like damn like y'all got like these layers (laughs) y'all got all these layers to these scenes that i just don't have because i walked in and i'm like hell yeah i'm here to help out i'm here for the pizza yep i'm here for the pizza (laughs) i'm here to help out my good friend judy no i think it's really interesting just the it's i don't know how much of it is perceived or just how much of it is like the larger dynamics at play that you get that are inevitable whether they intended to put them in or not but like also everyone in that room is queer like i'm just gonna say like like, tom queer roxanne queer everyone in that room is Mm -hmm. queer so they're totally just like sizing me up and being like hmm is this a good (laughs) girlfriend for judy and uh-huh. Uh, anyways, we talk with them a little bit. We can get some info from Tom about what's been going on. And um, Roxanne is obviously unhappy about Evelyn coming back to Clouds. Um, you know, she wants payback um, and, and to, to get back at Clouds for what happened to Evelyn. Then Maiko shows up and is like, hey, Woodman's uh, hasn't been around. Uh, what's What's been going on there? And you just be like, ah. Oh, Guess he's uh he's been missing work, you know. You hate to see it, <laughs> you know. He, he was not always the most reliable, was he? Um, yeah, I mean, we we just met up with him and you know we played some cards and I don't mm-hmm. know what happened after that. Mm. Coincidentally, please don't ask about the polyurethane tub in the maintenance floor. <laughs> nothing, nothing happened there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I will say that when Michael walks in, uh, she says something like oh you can't get rid of the stench of the corpse and mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. i've seen people interpret that in two different ways one is her berating v and belittling them as she dies because like as ken said before like she she starts off and she continues on with the whole like you are a killer comment mm-hmm. and looking down on v for that and then the other thing that people have gotten from that is like her saying that 
referring to Evelyn's corpse, and I feel like they should have edited that line to make it just a little more clear, because I I think it's the former, because the latter feels a little too cruel. Yeah. Not that it would be like, not that I would put it past this game to do that, but also, (laughs) now I'm thinking about it, like, I don't know if Micah was ever told where she died. So, like... Right. Yeah. Hmm. Micah wouldn't have that information, because I don't think it's been like given to her yet yeah that's true, um, that's true. so I, I do agree that i think the most sensical reading of it is that but also like i agree that this game a loves to be cruel and b uh is not always clear with its dialogue so uh right yeah. like that people are interpreting it in that way in the first place is right. the fault of right the writing <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's it's just yeah just another nail in the coffin for um, the way that the game the the plan that judy reveals to us is that judy has basically invented the matrix and that (laughs) judy uh can can use the chips that the dolls have to normally facilitate their their services and clouds to also teach them how to do kung fu (laughs) and uh we get a, a quick demonstration where uh tom chucks some knives across the room and then we can try to fist fight Tom and Tom absolutely like demolishes V. It's very fun. I like it a lot. We can also kind of like uh, ask questions about what the drawbacks are, and it's kind of like once the once it gets turned on, like once the threat sensor detects that someone's in trouble, they can't like turn it back off naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's it's a tricky thing to handle, but. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's something, um, mm. and and we can even after we get our our butt kicked, we can turn to Michael and be like happy now. You, like, is this a good enough demonstration? So the plan is that we will use these chips to give the dolls the ability to fight against Tiger Claw security and take over Cloud ourselves. Um, and and Judy's Judy's plan is that. Um, We'll get the Tiger Claws escorted out of the establishment, and the boss has agreed to never show up at Clouds again in exchange for a cut of the proceeds. Basically, like, we'll send you a cut, but we don't want you in the house at all. Like, the, the workers will run the shop. Um, and, and Natalie, you do note a really good line in here where uh, V can note that, like, selling that would make Judy a lot of money, but... Judy's like, nah, I don't. There's, there's already plenty of killing machines in the world. And you don't want to find ways to make more of them. It's, Judy's got morals. Judy's got ethics. Right. Like it's not because she can't do those things. Also, by the way, mm-hmm. it is storming here. So my apologies for any part of that that makes it into the recording. Uh, just as Eric was transitioning to be like, Natalie has a good point here. There was just like this thunderous <laughs> roar <laughs> right before that. I was like, ah, shit. Uh, but yeah, it's not that Judy doesn't have the potential to come up above the system, like, you know, despite her marginalizations. It's that she knows it's worthless if she's the only one doing it, if she's not you know, mm-hmm. bringing down the ladder for the people at the bottom mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. her. And every day she makes that choice to honor her principles, despite, like, like Judy, like, as we see here, Judy is one of the smartest people in this entire city. She could be doing a lot 
with her brain power and with the services that she potentially offers people through her intelligence she chooses not to she chooses to be a really good person with principles i think that's a harder thing for people to do than is given credit for like being good and being kind is difficult enough but it's really hard in a place like night city so i just i thought that line was really sweet of hers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh maiko turns around is like that that plan isn't going to work the claws are just going to hit back harder we need to take out the guy at the top hiromi sato uh and basically comes up with a two-pronged attack where while tom and roxanne handle the actual security of clouds uh v judy uh and maiko go in up top and take out hiromi sato and and kind of like intimidate and basically be like hey we we know where you sleep we can hit you anywhere anytime does not matter so like back off and and show some intimidation i like that can you have the street kid option to be like why don't we just jump him in the street whereas <laughs> i had the corpo option that was like agreeing with Maiko that was like yeah no show of intimidation like that's going to send a clearer message than just like jumping him in the street <laughs> I, I would simply just get him where i can <laughs> i would simply um, direct him to an alley <laughs> nice chat with him. like a wily e. coyote painting like, you've, got, <laughs> you've got this alleyway like kick me sign over here <laughs> uh, um so we we decide that's the plan um roxanne is going to have to think about whether she wants to be a part of this but tom is all in johnny once again says johnny things we don't care he's frankly not a part of this episode <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, Maiko and Roxanne and Tom all leave and our relic starts to act up. And Judy, uh, as this is happening, Judy brings up like, hey, you know, I know I'm asking you to do a lot. You know, I'm willing to pay you fees or whatever. And of course, being either the potential romantic partner or just a good person that V is, we say no, 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 no. we're, We're in this. We're in this to help you out. It's all good. Don't you're not paying. And then the relic starts to act up, and uh, we we kind of almost collapse on the couch. Judy freaks out. I did not tell Judy about the relic at this point. Mm. Um, it does make you sound a little fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I don't know Judy that well at this point, and also I'm very much like, no, let's focus on the task at hand. You don't need to worry about this. I'm much like real life. I'm very much like a don't worry about me type person. So. Um, no worries I if not, you write in the email as you're drowning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, for me, I felt at this point like B doesn't have any friends because Jackie and T-Bart are dead. And it's just like, and we've talked about this multiple times about how like, the cast of Cyberpunk 2077 is fundamentally different by the time the game is over. And so like, I'm trying to get to the point where like I am feeling comfortable being close to people again. And this was the point where I was like, one, I can't, like, this can't happen in the middle of, like, I I wanted her to be aware of this thing, like, this uh, possible thing that might happen while we're, you know, doing this job. And I also just, like, wanted to be vulnerable and open with somebody again, after, like, all of the shit that I talked about with the, uh, the second stalker cloud that I told, like, Angel, all these things. And I was like, I would Mm. like to be able to have a connection with somebody who's not being paid for, like, a minute, just to, like, be like, here's what's going on, this is what happened, this is, 
basically what Evelyn and I like risked our lives for when we were doing the heist. This was what was there. This is what we're trying to get. And this is what's happening to me now. And at first she's just kind of like, fuck, can you do anything? I was like, I'm trying to figure that out in the midst of all of this other stuff. So I wanted to just be open with some, with literally anybody at that point. Right. Me too. Like what was going through my mind was like, we've seen Judy at her worst. Like she mm-hmm. would gladly tell us like that this is this is the worst of my this is the worst period of my life right now um and i I think it matters to to give that back to her to give like a a piece of vulnerability from us and be like Mm -hmm. hey like i see you at your worst i'm kind of at my worst too right so we're both going through this and we're gonna get through this together though also while well, V was having a, this life-threatening seizure on the couch, I was like, no, V, don't die. You haven't gotten pussy yet. No. <laughs> so I was like, shit, this yeah. is not the time. You're literally on the couch. You're alone. V, my girl, don't do this to me. Not now. Just just wait to have your life-threatening seizure. Mm-hmm. Like, tomorrow morning. This mm-hmm. right. <laughs> There will be time for dying later. <laughs> exactly. Die later. Right now, you got something in front of you that you got to focus on. Shit. Mm. <laughs> got runners on first and third. Let's go. This mm. bottom of the ninth. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I love how this game continues to expose us for who we are, as I was very much like, haha, don't worry about it. As like, smoke is coming out of my ears and <laughs> yeah. my nose is bleeding and stuff like that. Nah, I'm good. Don't worry about it. You need anything? Yeah. I can get you some from the fridge if you like. Yeah, you were um, like, I don't want Judy to worry about this. And I'm like, Eric, I think it's too late for that. <laughs> so you're like collapsing on the couch. Like, I think Judy would be more worried if you're like... <laughs> One eye no, no is like worries. spinning in its socket. My <laughs> yeah. fingers are like bending backwards and I'm like, nah, don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> no, tag me coach. Um, yeah, so I, either way, uh, I crashed on Judy's couch for the night. I, I thought that was a very, like, that followed up by her leaving you a text in the morning, just saying, like, hey, I left you some breakfast on the counter. Like, you know, leave so when you want cute. to. It's very sweet. It's it's, so it's, it's very sweet whether or not you are romancing uh, Judy. Like, it's it's just a good show of friendship. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's real nice. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... Pisces, let's do this meeting. Uh, we meet up with uh, Maiko. Well, not Maiko yet. We meet up with Judy, Tom, and Roxanne, who are all waiting at the bottom of the mega building where Clouds is. And by the way, we haven't really talked about the mega buildings yet, but they're pretty cool. I like them. It's a cool concept idea. Kind of wish we got to explore more of them. Mm. Uh, but Judy's got the blueprint to Hiromi's penthouse. Um, Maiko's got a meeting going uh, that's going to kind of keep him up there uh, at the top. Meanwhile, we can kind of prep Tom and Roxanne, you know, like, listen to your implants, you know, feel, don't think, hear, feel, think, whatever you want to (laughs) do. Is this Final uh, Fantasy XIV? Yeah, yeah, listen to Heidelin. That's that's (laughs) always going to go well. says the guy playing through Endwalker right now. Uh-huh. Yep, rip you, man. <laughs> oh. I'm just going to pinwheel this into talking about 14 for the rest of the podcast. Um, kind of on so, the side, like... <laughs> he's going he's gonna to cave eventually. It's just a matter of time. Uh, mm. Seeing the way that Ken has 
glommed onto the fashion in cyberpunk i think glam would absolutely oh ruin my uh kenneth like it, it would just it would be too much yes. um anyways we we head up to the maintenance floor and start sneaking through the area doing our, our typical take them out i tried to be non-lethal here you know i tried to to do right uh mostly because i was she like well try. if we want to if we want to negotiate later, it's hard to negotiate with somebody after being like, oh, by the way, I killed all of your guards on the way up here. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I tried to, to, you know, be sensible through all this. Um, wow, you, yeah, you did the same thing too, Ken. I was just reading the, the strength stat check to break fencing. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, <laughs> like, like, I mean, there's a point up top where, like, when you're, like, on the roof, that you can go through uh, a route that has, like, I think one or two fewer guards on it. And mm. I did not pass that stat check, but still got it in anyway. Mm. Mm. Okay. I was just like, how does, like, shattering through a wall equal stealth? I was trying to, like, connect those in my head. Um, we head into Hiromi's office. Roxanne and Tom have taken out all the guards in clouds. Uh, and uh, we see three guys hooked into brain dances. And they, there are some girls with them. Uh, they kind of walk out. They're like, cool, we're out, peace, have fun. We have no part of this later. Um, and Maiko is is there waiting, and Maiko's like, look, uh, here's Hiromi, and here's his direct superiors. Maiko wants to kill Hiromi in front of Hiromi's bosses, and establish herself as the new boss, become the new Hiromi. And she's like, don't worry, I'll protect Clouds from the other gangs as the new Tiger Claw person, and uh, it'll be all cool. And of course, at this point, you and Judy are both like, hey, what the heck? What are you? T- this is not what we agreed to. This is this is not like the the change that we wanted. This is just you taking over as the new Tiger Claws boss of clouds this is maiko making a power grab mm-hmm. um Surprising. so yeah who could have seen this betrayal coming <laughs> <laughs> uh she pulls uh the other two out and and starts showing off like oh you know look at what has happened an assassin has got into the the penthouse clouds is currently like taken down by just two dolls like uh even uses evelyn as like this is incompetence Romy does not deserve to run this thing i do um and judy's like hey this is not cool i don't like this and at this point we basically have the option to either go with maiko and and set this all up or pull our guns out and settle it the old-fashioned way which is what i did um yeah this this penthouse got funky for a bit (laughs) 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 grenades were thrown assault rifles brandished nice one dude had a katana <laughs> well things just got funky for a little bit yeah it's, it's a little i like to picture someone on the street like looking up like look at how tall that building is and they just see like all these sparks and explosions coming out of the penthouse <laughs> just, business just, as usual uh, yeah just another like, day some, night city some stuff happening so i think before we get into like what we ended up doing we should talk about the ramifications of if you do side with Maiko. Because obviously that's not what Judy wants, and if you do that, not only will you obviously like be locked out of the romance with Judy, but like she will just kind of like go no contact with you. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, if I'm understanding properly, 
it does end up being a better outcome for the workers of Cloud because Maiko is there in charge and the Tiger Claws are comfortable with their position of power in it, so nothing has to happen afterwards. And, I don't know, it's... We'll get to... When, when we get to, like, the actual outcome of shit that has to happen for the relationship with Judy, friendship or otherwise, to continue, or we're talking about, like, I guess what probably happened with most people when they played through this game. Um, but it's just, like, I, I think it's important to kind of, like, set that up before we talk about what comes next, because there are... Some, there are some pretty drastic paths that this is going to go into, depending yeah. on what you do here. Yeah. So so to be clear from my playthrough, I killed the three Tiger Claws, but I did not kill Maiko. I, I walked out and left Maiko alone. Yes. Um, I think it looks like you just killed everyone, Ken. <laughs> yeah. So like, it gets to the point where she she's like, V, what the hell have you done? Da, da, da. And like, I'm starting to... And, you know, it even goes back to, like, the, the stupid shit earlier. Like, why don't we just fucking kill him in the middle of the street? Or something like that. I, I feel like I'm starting to gravitate towards my V being kind of, like, emotional in a lot of cases. Like, not necessarily being, like, very rational. And, like, you know, he just came off from, like, the adrenaline rush of killing three guys. And so I was like, you can either leave now or you're next. And then she's like, well, I've got a double chip too, remember? And then so, like, there's one last fight, which actually ended up being kind of anticlimactic. Because I, just, I had my double barrel shotgun and took care of it. But that at least felt in line with my character at that point being, like, you know, not, not necessarily the same calculated person that, like, a corpo V might be. Um, mm-hmm. And so, handled that, and then the conversation I had with Judy after, she's, like, very much, like, in shock. And, like, I, I apologize for Because, like, even in spite of all the things that they clearly are, like, that, that she's clearly past, like, she still has some level of connection to Michael and some attachment that... She just has to, like, kind of process, like, that it, it all spiraled in a way that none of them were planning, and that didn't end up meaning the loss of somebody who did at one point mean something to her. Um, and it kind of, like... the bloodlust. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, it, and she kind of, like, leaves, like, in, in a state of shock, and, like, you do... You are left to wonder, like, even though, you know, it was to, like, I guess to some degree self-defense, like, you do have to wonder, like, if, did Judy, you know, look at me differently now? Because I killed somebody that was close to her at one point. Um, and when, like, even later, when she does call for, like, the next quest, I do have the opportunity to be like, I thought I was just never going to hear from you again. And then she's just kind of like, no, I, like, I had time to process what happened. And you, you did what you could in that scenario. Mm. Yeah. For me, the best outcome is just, like, making sure not to kill Maiko because... Mm. Mm-hmm. Despite everything that Maiko is, like, she is still a part of Judy's tapestry in mm. her life. And so I knew that, like, killing her despite everything wouldn't go down well for her. And it, it does lead to some really wonderful dialogue with her. Um, uh-huh. Judy sort of blames herself for not seeing this coming, which is obviously ridiculous. Uh, and V tells her, don't be dramatic. There's a difference between being a gonk and believing people want to do good. And just here again, I, I think that conversation is such a great exploration of a larger theme in cyberpunk, which is the struggle against what a place like Night City takes away from you. Um, I, I think Judy, she's very naive. Uh, 
but it's it's an endearing character trait when so much of what is around you is so cynical and prefers mm. to be very skeptical and assume the worst about people um i think that naivete on her part is a really intentional trait because mm. it plays into that larger exploration uh, like a, a system built like this makes people on the margins like judy they turn inward right like they mm. blame themselves for sticking around for hoping that things will improve and for even imagining that they might play a part in helping that actually become a reality uh, but i like that we can make it clear that this isn't on her if anything she is in the right and she is good for wanting to believe that people want to do good it is not her fault that maiko is one of most people in Night City who care more about power than the people beneath them. Like, this isn't, this isn't her fault. And so I, I like that she expresses, I think, that natural tendency that someone in her position would have to turn inward and blame themselves, and like that we can then refute that. Um, I, I put in my notes that it actually reminds me of uh, one of the best quotes in everything everywhere all at once which is like when i choose to see the good side of things mm-hmm. i'm not being naive it is strategic and necessary it's how i've learned to survive through everything mm-hmm. i think judy despite everything that has happened to her that we're about to explore with the next quest and everything that has happened in the present with her uh she really does choose to see the good side of people not just things and i think you can argue that's being naive like i said i I think it's a an intentional trait of hers um but also like that's how she survived so far in night city and i think more people should try to survive in night city by believing others want to be good people also, it's just really fucking cute because then you get a cheek kiss at the end, you do. and it's you like, do. ah, so like I have, my bisexual ass. Dying. A, a question about that: Is that like procked by romance options? I guess like I didn't, I, I didn't see at that point like a flirt option. No, it's just if you do not kill Maiko, she appreciates yeah. that uh, because it is you trying to. Also believe that people want to be better right. in a way uh-huh. by being uh-huh. merciful, and so I think she's very touched by that, and mm-hmm. so she just says thank you, V, and she gives you a kiss on the cheek, and I, mm-hmm. I just love it so much. Like, of course, cheek kiss, that's cute shit in general, but also I think it's just a a small instance of a very genuine and heartwarming mm-hmm. form of intimacy, especially in a game that is over sexualized and that revels in the society that has commodified the concept of intimacy to such extremes and, and so again judy sort of emerges from all the edgy edginess all the cynicism all the commodification her storyline emerges from that and like you got this really genuine sweet moment of mm-hmm. it's not sexual intimacy but it is intimacy of mm. appreciation and friendship mm-hmm. and something more and i i love that it's just so mm. cute ah. yeah yeah that that moment's very very nice a good cap to that if you've chosen that route and 
definitely like feels like it segues well into pyramid song which is like the the actual i'd say like judy judy quest like not it, it will be wrapped up in the sorts of things that we have just gone through but this is like very specifically about judy and her mm-hmm. as a character um so judy calls us back and says uh, she's got something she wants to show us you know for for ken who you know went on, went on a little rampage you know we <laughs> happens from time to time uh you know it's it's a little bit weird tone for us you know it's like a hey how are you doing um oh my god the flirting between female v and judy is Sorry. off the freaking like it is so much. <laughs> I, I look. This has been the take that I was holding in this entire podcast episode. I was waiting until we got to Pyramid Song. Um, so when I first played this game, I played a straight dude V and uh, romance Pan Am, and I thought it was like a fine romance. It wasn't the best romance I've seen in any game, uh, but it it was serviceable. Uh, mm. The Judy female V romance is fucking fantastic. It's so mm. good. So it's really, really good. good. I, we haven't gotten to do it yet, but just like explicit shout out to Carla Tassara, who is mm. Judy's mm-hmm. voice mm-hmm. actor. Like the way that this phone conversation goes, just in, in both directions. Like again, Sharmi uh, Lee does a fantastic job, but like the way that Tassara just injects like almost every line with such sultriness as they flirt with each other merrily <laughs> gay gaily like ah, like ah. It's, it's, it's really good i'm this phone call is everything like i love like i said i i just loved that you know cheek moment that cheek kiss moment it was not sexually charged it was definitely like charged in the sense of you know these two women are attracted to each other but it wasn't sexual but this is also like like i also want this i don't want my sapphic romances to be sanitized of sexuality Mm -hmm. and this is just like full flirting sultriness sexiness on display and it's so good it's it's like it's it's just good like playful banter back and forth too and i think that is something that i found missing in the pan am one is that to use another CD Projekt Red game, it's the difference between the Triss romance and the Yennefer romance for me, and why I like the Yennefer romance more is because the Triss one feels very much like, mm, yes, we are two attractive people and we've, we're going to bone. Like, good job. And mm-hmm. Yennefer is way more like, I've got things going on, i got problems i got to take care of, but then you find yourself in a situation and she kind of shoots you the look and makes a playful like banter thing about that unicorn over there and like it's way more endearing it's fun it's there there's like clearly sparks between the two that the the writers play up a little bit more and it just makes for like better romance and less feeling of like i mean we'll talk more about pan am in the pan am episode but uh I, I do, I'm walking away from the Judy thing being like, and, and from what I've also heard of Carrie from from Ken being like, wow, Pan Am was probably the least entertaining romance yeah. companion in this game. Eric finding out <laughs> in Norman DFM that it sucks I've, to be a heterosexual. <laughs> I, have, I have been eating unseasoned food this entire time and i've never known <laughs> i mean and there's something to be and we'll, we'll talk about the sex scene in a bit like i think 
the thing that I am, you know, having looked at all these romances now for the for the show, because like I've been playing ahead as well as you know, I, I've I've obviously seen the character play, and I've, I've been playing ahead the the river and the Pan Am stuff. It feels very much like the Pan Am one very specifically has this weird sense of like detachment that I feel is so mm-hmm. not present mm-hmm. in all the other romances, and especially because mm-hmm. like, we mm-hmm. get we're gonna get to stuff with Judy's like there's like an intimacy like it, the the range of it is yep, yep. huge. Like you know we're talking right, very very much right now about like the the flirtatious conversations that you're having over the phone, but then when it gets to like the really heavy shit later. And it feels like it is able to bridge that gap very naturally. And it, and it speaks to the writing, but also the performances as well. That it mm-hmm. feels like, mm-hmm. and you know, I think broadly, like Judy as a character, just like em- em- embodies the, the range of the game in a way, mm-hmm. it, both in her, her story, but also in, especially in the romance and the relationship she has with V, even if it's not romance. And we can, you know, get into that in, in a minute, but like, yeah, I, it's, I think it's you know it's largely demographics as to why I think, in spite of everything that we've said, Carrie and Judy are not necessarily spoken about as much as Pan Am is. Um, but I think that was the, that was something that I've been identifying a lot is that like, in spite of you know, whether or not more people saw it, I feel like there's a lot of depth to the queer romances in this game, even if they come with like a whole fucking ton of baggage, which Carrie especially. So much baggage, like yeah, I was gonna in say. and out, yeah. in and out yeah. of universe of that uh, that romance. It just feels like that is when those are the relationships where I feel like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is really just like firing on all cylinders, just like really uh-huh. embodying its own world and themes in its characters in a way that uh-huh. does not feel like it always is, and maybe doesn't feel like it does in other romances. So, yeah, there's some romances in this game that are absolutely fantastic. And other ones that have about the depth of Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox's romance in the first Transformers mm-hmm. movie. like, And that is specifically Pan Am because I'm convinced that Pan Am was written by somebody who just watched the first Transformers movie and was like, I can do that character. But, uh, uh, once again, we'll talk about that when we get to the Pan Am episode. Uh, w- with Judy specifically, we go to this hut that's out way out of the city. And I love that I mean, theoretically, if you're like me and you haven't been out this far, you kind of have to drive there and mm-hmm. you really get the sense of like leaving the city and like you mm-hmm. there there's a part where you're going up the winding hills and you can kind of see the the massive block of Night City in the background just kind of fading further and further as you drive and I love that. I think it's very like mood setting for what you're mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no coincidence that this is this is Judy at her realist. That you mm-hmm. will get, and that is outside of the bounds of Night City. I think mm-hmm. it's just really great design. Um, you head out to this cottage, which, if you do, as Natalie mentions, uh, stand close to her like a little freak, but far away enough to not <laughs> alert her. <laughs> you can hear her humming a song um, that that will play in later. I just needed to say that because close to her like a little freak. <laughs> Me literally away. like stalking up to her like a little gremlin and be like, mm, mm, my beautiful lesbian, and then like hearing her hum the beautiful bells of Laguna Bend song that were, uh, that will be a mainstay throughout this entire quest line and that really elevates it thematically. I'm like, 
hmm, she has such a nice humming voice. I'm just going <laughs> to stand here. Like like, like Steve Irwin being like, we're going to sneak up on this Judy here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a little freak. <laughs> but far enough away to not alert her. <laughs> oh, God. Literally uh, my notes say, if you stand close to her, like a little freak, but far away enough to not alert her. So in case anyone wants to hear Judy humming, you can either look it up on YouTube or do as I described. <laughs> It's the exact distance. Yeah. <laughs> little, it's, it, you have to calculate freak it. Range. Yeah. <laughs> little freak rage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do so why, many weird this things. This is why we bring Natalie back. Every, the, I do so many we weird... Oh, my God. Like, this is not cyberpunk. <laughs> but let me just say, I do so many weird things because I'm bisexual. Like, I will tell you... Um, <laughs> In the, we need to move on after this, but for The Witcher 3, I will confess, so in the Blood and Wine DLC, you uh-huh, you get uh-huh. this vineyard, and your love uh, interest slash romantic partner will eventually come visit. <laughs> for that game, there's like a, you know, there's like a, a cycle of like the time of the day and the hours pass. I like stayed up next to Yennefer as she slept on the bed <laughs> to see when she would wake up. <laughs> begin her stroll throughout the vineyard so like i am full of little freak behavior okay y'all? like this is this is not Hold new on. we've got a sleepy Jennifer here <laughs> <laughs> i believe she wakes up something at like 6 or 7 a.m by the way in case oh, anyone needs that information just journaling it like your nature <laughs> photographer <laughs> Also, that is why The Witcher 3 is a very, very good game. <laughs> very good game made by the same uh, people who made this more polarizing game. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't worry, we're going to get Ken to play it eventually. Mm. Uh, as, as soon as we teach him how to drive Roach and also Geralt. <laughs> uh, handles like a BMW. Uh Anyways, we, we meet up with Judy out at this little hut. Uh, it's, it's like this, this kind of cottage out on a lake uh, that she tells us. A friend of hers owned it, um, eventually uh, moved on in life, and it's now kind of fallen into her care. She just kind of comes hang out here. You, you can actually, there was a previous dialogue in one of the missions. I think it was X Factor, where she says something about, like, I could have gone diving this morning or something. Yes, that feels like it kind of uh, like lays it out early. Yeah, after you're walking out of Maiko, the conversation, she talks yeah. about, like, ways that she's de-stressing or, like, processing mm-hmm. this. And she offhandedly mentions diving. It's like a neat little setup for this. Yeah, they, they, they plant the seed early. I like that. They eventually came back around. Um, but you can tell something's up. Like, something's a little weird. Um, and so as we're kind of getting ready and it's clear that we're going to go diving, uh, Judy has found a way to hook two people into the same, like, virtue and, and kind of wants to see, like, what would happen if two people were kind of virtue, brain dancing, doing mind stuff together at the same time, uh, like, like how that would work. And they're also going to do it underwater because Judy does nothing in half steps. This is, we're just going to dive to the bottom of a lake. And um, clearly there's something going on here as well. Uh, she seems a little out of it. She seems a little distracted. We can kind of ask about like, hey, how's clouds going 
what's up with the mocks? And she'll just flat out say, like, look, I don't want to talk about any of this stuff. Uh, nothing dark today, please. This is this is just, we're doing other stuff today. Don't worry about it. Um, which obviously is foreshadowing that there is something going on, but also feels like, especially given the heaviness of the the relationship that we've had with Judy thus far, it feels kind of nice to be like, hey, no, we're just going to do something. Like, we're Mm -hmm. completely separate from Night City, away from Night City, out in this lake. Like, this is completely different. A character with multitudes, perhaps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I think you sort of ask her, is something wrong? And she's just like, "Um, no. And it's Mm -hmm. very much like a woman being like, I'm fine. Like, mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. fine. Just tell me what's going on. But she obviously just sort of wants to focus on the present and have a really nice time with you, and that's really touching. Um, but just in general, I, I find this moment so endearing, not just the delivery of the line itself, but her animation is very cute. Like, she like looks off to the side, and she fidgets and gets nervous. In general, Judy's animation is really great like all the people who worked on her animation really thought about this character um up on the rooftop like when you have a conversation following Evelyn's suicide like there's you see her stimming you see like different Mm. you know indications of her body that she is undergoing extreme anxiety and that maybe she is just an anxious person in general um and I wrote here that I sound like a little freak again uh (laughs) saying that (laughs) that this is just so cute of her as she is clearly upset about something and is trying to hide it but it 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 was just a moment for me because i see people play through this part i i've watched a lot of people play through judy's quests and very often people will see that um no line and they'll be like oh that's like she's so cute and it Mm. sounds like really stupid to kind of say that but the bar for characters like judy in games is literally underwater as we're about to head (laughs) there um Uh like judy is this queer latina character whom we'll go on to find out in a minute like her actual background and her further identities that like compound those marginalizations and she's also allowed to be so many things at once like she's allowed to be sad and angry and guarded and shy and vulnerable and cute and endearing and even sexy like she was just as we said super flirty with a female v on the phone and she continues on to be very flirty with v as they get ready to set up this virtue and go underwater and like there's a reason why judy is probably this game's most popular character and why judy is spoken about in reviews as like one of the few unanimously appreciated aspects about this game like she is allowed to be so many things at once Mm -hmm. and it feels very basic to say that but also characters that look like me and judy don't get opportunities like this in video games Mm. or much in media it's gotten better over recent years but like judy is a revolutionary character i do not want that to go 
understated in any way like this is not something that people like me get and so her just having that very vulnerable very paradoxical line just uh, it it gets to my heart so much I love her so Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. and then we have of course the the wetsuit part which is just killing me in the notes right now (laughs) (laughs) oh I just saw yeah I'm like Eric's like cannot crack up mid paw run now I'm dying (laughs) Ken won't point it out because he's gay and immune to the effects of this (laughs) but bro she looks so good in the wetsuit we didn't mention she's wearing a wetsuit right now Mm-hmm. Like I said mm-hmm. in the notes, Ken's not going to point it out because this doesn't affect him. But I will because I am a bisexual woman and I'm very vulnerable to the effects of this. Like Pokemon text, it's super effective. Exactly. <laughs> I thought of that while writing it. Like, she looks so good in the woods. And the flirting is so good. Yes, yeah. She would talks about like how she has basically a cop uniform. A and Max she talks, Tech uniform. Yeah. yeah. And she talks about like reserving it for the right occasion. And I'd be like, bruh, are we underwater already? Because I'd be drowning. <laughs> like, the fuck? <laughs> I hear like. I have a Max Tech uniform for the right occasion that like TikTok cuts to like somebody like handcuffing themselves on the ground or yeah. something. <laughs> Damn shit, I love the cops now, please. <laughs> um, uh, see, Multitudes. Cyberpunk, if Cyberpunk had been better, the TikTok content for it would have been absolutely incredible. <laughs> that is my, that is my thesis. Um, you could totally anyway. expect one of those like viral TikTok challenges where like you hear Judy's line being like, "You should see me in my Max Tech uniform," and then people just throwing themselves on the ground, mm-hmm. and be like, "Please." <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, she wants to go diving into the lake. Uh, Johnny is like, "Nope, nope, no way, no, no how." And I'm like, "Johnny, shut the You're fuck up. Here. This is this is not for you. This is for me. All right." <laughs> <laughs> He you just are loves not to shove himself this. into the mm-hmm. equation. And like, bro, you ain't even alive. Get out of here. Please, please sit in the corner of my mind <laughs> politely. You can hang out. You can be here. Don't talk. This is this is my time. Um, anyways, we, we jump in. Uh, and as we're kind of swimming down to the first part of our, our uh, diving thing, I first want to note that the water controls in this game are ass. They're just bad. They're just not fun. Underwater is always a pain in the butt in any video game, but I had so many just weird movement glitches and graphical glitches in this area that I was like, whoa. Oh, so I gotta, not I gotta ask, and like, we, we brought this up when you were playing. Why are you still playing this game on mouse and keyboard? Because I play most PC games on mouse and keyboard. Well, because it seems like every time that it gets where you're having to move in any way that it is not walking, you're having trouble. Well, yeah, because driving a car with a mouse and keyboard sucks. That's like, sucks. A, yeah, that's every video game ever made. Like it's it sucked in Watch Dogs, which was the first game I played on my gaming PC back when I built it, like way back when. Uh, and it sucks now on my current PC when I'm playing Cyberpunk. But it's also Cyberpunk is also a first-person shooter, so I'm going to use a mouse and keyboard. That just feels mm-hmm. better. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's just how it works. I mean, don't apologize uh, to me. I'm not the one suffering. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, we, we as a society have not figured out 
how to drive a car with a mouse and keyboard. So, frankly, we should just get rid of cars. That's that's the mm-hmm. takeaway from all I this. I agree. So true. Um, unironically, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, as as we're diving down, we're diving uh, deeper into this lake, which. Uh, hopefully none of you have that thoracophobia i think is what it's called like fear of deep oceans or whatever i tried looking that up before we did this podcast but this is a really deep lake this is a very very deep lake um we can kind of talk about her connection to bds and and how judy views bds and i like the note that um she's she's into brain dances this is not just something she does for the money this is Mm -hmm. not just something she does because she's uh able to provide the service and get paid well for it but i love there's like a line she has about how it's like emotions connecting and she talks about it being the same as music and art and things like that and brain dances allow those emotions to connect between people and i think that it was just a really lovely little moment it makes me want to see what a brain dance she gives shit about would be like because every time that we use them in these games somebody's getting murdered or something yep, like, yep. or we're, we're trying to solve a crime, and like I wonder what like a BD is. It's just like on a store shelf that Judy would work on that isn't that awful shit or smut. It's they even like make a gag about it at, in during one of these quests where uh, I think it might be in Pyramid Song where you can say something like, "Oh, not the usual BDs that that V is used to," and Judy says something about like, "Yeah, nobody's getting shot or something like that," mm-hmm. and. It's they were like so aware of the fact that they had brain dances and then just turned them into something you do like two or three times to find out who got murdered and that's it. Like, oh god, yeah. I don't know. I would have liked just a BD you can boot up that's just someone playing like Yo Yo Ma's Air on a G string or whatever. Like that's like it could have been whatever. I forgot yeah. what the name of that was. I got confused halfway through and rolled with it. Air on G, I think. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, it's... I, Yeah. I love the idea that Judy is so... Like Natalie was saying earlier, Judy is such a multifaceted character, and this entire dive that we do, where we go down to Laguna Bend, which was where um, she grew up, and, and like where she was a kid, and we can investigate around and find all these different things about her life here and, and her background and uh, even have like weird kind of ghost memories of her past in the process uh, mm-hmm. while also learning that like the company just wanted to turn this place into a reservoir. So they flooded the whole dang town. Um, it's, it's, it's really good. And it's, it's really effective. Even when I think like the actual way we're going through it is kind of just very, find the thing in the environment and click on it and and judy remarks on it and then you find the thing in the environment and then remark on it and judy remarks on it like it feels very mechanical it's Mm. still really good because the the stuff the story that's happening here is so effective so well told and you learn so much about judy in the process um i i imagine you you dug the scene a lot natalie yeah i mean it felt, and I think Ken will also go on to talk about this, but I felt like this was a pretty surreal quest for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as a Latina who has grown up in a really small town, um, like I, I particularly love the touch of her talking about Capitan Caliente and this is clearly a place that has been abandoned figuratively and literally by the powers that be or just the higher powers of the city that have deemed this community and all the people that had actual lives in it as utterly indis- like disposable. Um, and I'm close enough to, like I relate to just being part of a really small town and you know, like not having the resources that a lot of other people do, but still there are things that you remember fondly and that you, you know, like I know that if I'm not in where I live, like if I go to somewhere like San Francisco or and even if it's another multicultural place, like, you know, I have specific memories and ties to like the carniceria on the street corner or like you know a special little quirk that defines my community which is largely made up of immigrants and first-gen people um latin people specifically um and i'm close enough to a major city that it doesn't take long to reach miami but my community is still like this insulated bubble where like things aren't pretty and people barely get by um but it's still like it's still home and mm-hmm. no matter where i go i am tied to this place in ways that i appreciate and in ways that i don't um but yeah like just seeing just seeing judy recount her memories of this place that she is tied to in painful ways but also ways that she can look back fondly enough like she talks about Flo's Diner being the best eatery in town mm. but it's also the only eatery in town <laughs> and the burgers were the best thing she had ever eaten at the time but also like I, I bet there was very little else for her right. around there um, it, it makes me think about how like I used to think Olive Garden was fancy people food and mm. we still treat it as a thing that like we will go to for a special occasion and that will like mm-hmm. affect our finances when we actually like indulge in it um but it just really hits in a way of like you don't know better when you grow up in certain ways um and my heart breaks when there's a kid in a memory as you explore these memories of judy um you end up finding out that like there are some memories that you are listening and aware of that she's not aware that you're aware of Mm -hmm. so you hear a kid that was bullying her being like alvarez is so poor she can't afford to have parents because as you you know go on to find out like you know she mostly lived with her grandparents and Mm. yeah it's just it's a, a heavy and a surreal quest that ultimately really emphasizes just how she's never belonged in night city and Mm. i guess i'd like to be more like judy because i also don't feel like i've ever belonged where i live or just anywhere in general like i I do see it as home but i i'm i I never feel myself fully connected to a place like i don't have a laguna bend to mourn when i've left it temporarily in the past or 
like as I wrote in my notes like maybe I do maybe like the place that I am in now that I've grown up with like that I've grown up with in all my life maybe it is my Laguna Bend and I don't know it and it's just a matter of realizing it later on in life when I Mm. move out and miss all the things about it that I didn't like and also won't get anywhere else so yeah this is just like a, a really good execution of Judy's one of her Mm. character pillars which is like I think Judy knows who she is very well and she can talk about her history with you while being really self-aware but she doesn't know what she wants and where she wants to be exactly like she knows she wants to get out of Night City she doesn't know what that looks like Mm. Um, and yeah I I think this quest is just very good and very touching yeah yeah, Ken, you you had some thoughts on this too. Yeah, it, it it was also like a surreal quest for me, and I think it's something that I'm recognizing as we're going into this season about like the ways Cyberpunk 2077 kind of has stuck with me in the time since, and maybe what I'm getting out of it as I'm playing it now, because like I I've been fairly candid over the years on this show about how like I've lived in a, a southern small town my entire life, and for all the reasons that has been it has been a very like miserable and isolating place to be and as an observer as me and as myself like you know kind of like putting the wall between him and me at this point like it's there's something bizarre to me not and I don't mean bizarre in like a very dismissive way I mean like almost just like weird to me and like I don't have a connection to a place like Judy's talking about and like she has all these stories about like this diner this gas station this church of things that she's growing up and that she has seen because I and I'm not to get like super like heavy on the podcast and I'm glad that I'm doing this in the presence of you two my very close friends instead of like a relative stranger that's coming on like oh you know like I, I guess that we've had that doesn't really they might have not might not have signed up for this but, like I've in my late 20s going into my 30s I'm realizing that I've kind of like suppressed a lot of my childhood not because something like traumatic and awful happened to me that I'm like trying to you know forget but like just because like I loathe my upbringing and the place that I've been in my entire life so much because like I the town that I've lived in my entire life is nothing to me anymore beyond like services that I drive to and from like the store the Mm -hmm. gas station the restaurant you know I don't have that connection to this place and I think as time has gone on I've even forgotten or, or suppressed whatever like a lot of my childhood stories like I don't have like, those connections are so fraught to me now that, like, I just don't, I don't feel like I could have, like, I don't feel like I could be on the other side of this quest being, like, Judy, like, telling somebody about, like, oh, here is this place where me and my friends played when we were younger, or, like, you know, this is the church that I grew up in because my parents insisted that I go to church until I was about 15 and caused enough of a a ruckus being there um, that they finally stopped trying to make me go. And so, like, I've gone all this time without ever feeling... Like anywhere is home, and like I don't like the the place I'm in now. I f- I have a great resentment towards, but there's like this i this idea in my head of like this thing that I want to aspire to, this thing I want to find, and in that way, like I feel like I relate more to V on in in, in you know the dynamic of this this quest because like he lives in Night City, and despite the fact that you know there are various problems in the city, it's still like the, the thing that I've, I've been really coming to terms with is that, like, it feels like this kind of, like, amalgamation of places that I want to be in my life. And 
existing as the there feels like something to me. Like it feels like more than I have just being here. And like as we're recording this, I am anywhere between three to five months to finally moving away. And that's just like it's it's been a very introspective game to me this past however long we've been playing it because like I am on the cusp of finally like accomplishing that and finally getting to that place. And this this quest has always been it's always made me feel a certain way because I don't have what Judy has. And I don't, and part of me wonders if, because I spent, you know, almost 30 years at this point in one place that I don't have that connection to. It makes me feel like I'm probably never going to have that. And mm. there's like a, a, a grief to it, I think, and realizing that you have reached, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still young, like 30 is not, you know, old by any stretch, but there are just, touchstones that a lot of people have growing up in a place that they that they have a connection to that they love that they love the people around them they love the community that they're in and just realizing that like i I'm, i don't think i'm ever going to talk about a place the way that judy talks about looking at bend mm-hmm. yeah so that's kind of always been that, that's kind of my feeling about this quest is that like it embodies something that i don't think cyberpunk 2077 is always like the concepts of home and like finding some meaning and connection in the people around you even if you know your circumstances aren't always the best and because the game is like so busy with being cynical and being about like corporations and all this other high-minded shit that Johnny Silverhand wants to preach about like I don't know that the game always is talking about those things in ways that are uh you know like we talk about this game a lot as this like thematically confused open world bullshit game that is trying to do so much at once that it does it feels like a lot of the, the good and important shit gets lost in the noise. And I feel like, especially when this is, you know, the, the very last quest in Judy's quest line, it, it would be feasible, I think, for a lot of people to get to the end of this game without ever actually seeing this quest. You know, they might get as far as, like, how Eric said that you did, like, you got to the Evelyn stuff, and then kind of, like, was like, okay, I'm 180 out of this because I don't want to deal with all this other stuff. And it's like... It just feels like a lot of the stuff is so buried under so much of the cynicism that Cyberpunk doesn't always get around to like telling you what it actually wants to say, and it's like you know it, t- it takes its time getting there, and yeah. So this is one of my favorite quests in this game, and I, I think I'm always going to have complicated feelings about it just because like I feel not I mean not to be too honest like I feel like a fish out of water uh, at, in this conversation because. I just don't know that I'm ever going to have that. And going back into Night City as the, as this, you know, this gay man that exists in this world that is finding places where he belongs, even in the midst of all of the shit that is trying to, like, push him and the people that he cares about out, that still feels like I am still, even if I'm not, you know, I'm not in the relationship with Judy, I'm not getting involved in what the conclusion is this is going to be, really necessarily... I still feel like the game is speaking to me even when it's got a character who is talking about something that I don't think I'm ever going to experience. And I hope that I do one, one day I do play like call a place home and have these stories to tell people. But it is, it, as I am on the cusp of possibly finding that in my own life, it makes me feel a little sad, a little, I, I, I don't think I feel jealous, but I think I do feel a sense of grief being here with her. I think this is like a mission that a lot of people are going to see themselves in. And that's mm-hmm. a lot. Like, like that's a sign of good 
writing at the end of the day. Um, I think Judy ends up being one of the most relatable characters that sticks out to people so much, like Natalie was saying, because Judy is a character that goes through an arc. Judy is a character that actually has stuff that she wrestles with and doesn't really get to... I think it's interesting that if you, you take the route to get to this point, to, to, to get the kiss on the cheek and all that, that Judy's route ends on a pretty somber note that it's... Um, well, we'll get to it in a moment, but like, uh, it's it's a tough direction that this ends up taking, and Judy, much like V, ends this story in a place where it's uncertain what the future looks like for her. Um, and I can say, like, from my own experiences, that I grew up in one town for a long time, and and then I went away for for college and other jobs and stuff like that, and then kind of came back, and I live in somewhat of the same area now and it is surreal at times to see the ways in which a place can change and yes. and even places that look structurally familiar do not house the same things that gave you those memories in the first place and that's that was the part that resonated with me was Judy seeing all these places and being like yeah the structures are still here but the things that made them what they are are not and they're gone and they're different and the world will just keep on paving over as as time rolls on and all of those memories just end up buried as we keep building up and over them and that was kind of like i i almost kind of wish that you'd been exploring like ruins or like spelunking or something because that would have been like a more direct comparison but like this all being underwater and sunken underwater is just like you know night city literally dumps stuff on top of the things it doesn't need anymore mm. and and it shows this clear like lack of lack of care like they didn't even really move a lot of this stuff out of there you get the sense that the evacuation of laguna bend happened very quickly and mm. hurriedly and to the point that there was not a lot of care for what this place actually meant to anybody before it was turned into just a giant lake uh and it's it's a really affecting moment that then gets interrupted by our relic malfunctioning <laughs> and we have just a little bit of an underwater panic attack you know? like this homophobic As... it'd be like <laughs> yeah you're connecting with judy again let me just crank that up a little bit yeah. it's like that's such unsexy behavior you know like you're in the church and you're talking about like how Judy viewed the church as a queer little girl and then you're like ah and it's like oh damn like Judy has to <laughs> physically just like I don't know how she did it like just like you know grabbing you and like making mm-hmm. sure that both of you made it to the surface since you were in so deep uh but she did it and it was very unsexy of me to to have a relic malfunction right no, no. big big brain take all right galaxy brain take level time the relic is 
in V's corner because think back to the apartment, all right? Like everyone's kind of getting up to leave, but suddenly V has to stay because V's not feeling good because of the relic. Mm. Like there's kind of like, oh, oh, something's mm. wrong here. I don't know if I can go. And then you're underwater. Sure, yeah, you're having the moment in the church and all that, but what are you going to do? Like you're underwater. There's scuba gear involved. The, the logistics aren't there. So mm. the relic's like, look, we got to get back up to the surface ASAP, pal. <laughs> okay, we got <laughs> we to gotta move this back to land (laughs) judy is being emotional and that's very nice for her but we gotta work on hastening this process we have a cabin to go back to you get some cpr CPR. (laughs) that is true okay that is a very good take cpr's halfway there (laughs) (laughs) suddenly ken doesn't like this quest anymore So anyways, we do wake up to Judy, who has th- thrown RV onto the dock and given us CPR and brought us back. Um, shout outs to Judy for the sixth gear that she went into to make that happen. Uh, and Johnny giving us a told you so moment, which, no, get out of here, Johnny. What did I tell you earlier? This is not your time. Um and this is when Judy can be like, whoa, I thought I just heard something, but it wasn't you and it wasn't me. And this is when I elected to tell Judy about Johnny Silverhand and and all the stuff that happened with the relic, uh, which felt very fitting given that Judy had just spilled her entire childhood and memories to me as I should probably tell her what's going on with the Keanu Reeves virus in my brain. Um, and it was it was a nice little moment of like, oh, that's what's been going on. And, and she's very much like, well, I hope you figured something out. You know, we'll, we got to do something. And, and then you kind of go inside the cottage. Uh, Judy starts preparing some coffee, asks how you would like it. Ken says in the dumpster. Uh, <laughs> I didn't, they didn't tell, they didn't give me an option to be like, I don't want, I don't like coffee. So I just like drown that shit in milk and sugar, please. When, when was, when was the last time you had coffee, Ken? Eric, you were there. Like we were at a coffee shop. This was this was that was the last time you've had coffee. This was like years ago. Yeah, I didn't like wow. it, so I didn't want to have more. Coffee mm. is bad. Oh, coffee's so, so true. I Co- I took unhealthy. mine. I took mine black, by the way. Nothing in it. Oh my I'm not, god! I'm not putting milk and sugar in that thing. No, give me give me the full on bean juice. You're one of those <laughs> people. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I y'all are God's strongest soldiers, I will say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like Lord, <laughs> you don't just I, like coffee; me, you love coffee. You just take it black, just like straight up. Like, me, Jesus. me, every morning pouring, pouring the the darkest coffee I can into my cup. God, why do you give me your toughest battle? <laughs> um. <laughs> but the power goes out so judy uh is like oh you gotta take care of the generator um we offer to go out and get the generator back on as and as we're out there we hear some of her thoughts and seems like some things might have gone wrong and and things aren't great so we head back in and judy is in the bathroom and we can kind of bust in and be like look you gotta like let's <laughs> just stop putting this off tell me what is going wrong and that is when she informs us that uh, because of the decision that all of us made here, uh, the Tiger Claws were not happy with what happened with Hiromi and the other two. 
uh, and they came back to clouds and Tom's dead. Roxanne is alive, but like it's, I think uh, Judy says something like she barely got out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and clouds is basically shut down. Basically it all went off terribly. And Judy's been thinking about leaving night city altogether. Uh, just doesn't want to want to have anything to do with it. And she says a line that's like, I wanted, I didn't want tonight, I want today to be about that. I didn't want it to be about Night City. I wanted it to just be our, it was supposed to be our day. And then you have an option to be like, this is our day. And that is when you initiate the sex scene. We got here, folks. (laughs) We made it. Um, Which Ken did not participate in, obviously. (laughs) Ken Ken went and argued with Johnny Silverhand on the couch, (laughs) which is... uh, sorry sorry that you had to do that yep well so that was that at least was a moment where you kind of start to like get to the root of why johnny just like fucking can't stand judy and he like when i ask why like there's a chance to be like oh this is because she cares about people and it reminds you that you're a narcissistic piece of shit and then he's like he says something uh she refuses to take the door and jumps out the window and surprise when she gets hurt and then you can, like, get a real nice job. And they're like, oh, it's because she reminds you of Alt. And then he's like, nobody could ever live up to her. What are you talking about? And he, there's a, a chance to just leave as she's, like, passed out on the couch. Um, if you take that, you're a monster. And yeah. you deserve what the relic's doing to you. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to fucking do that. So so I went to bed. It's like, threw, threw fingers up at Johnny and went to bed. Damn, that sucks. Eric. Yeah, that, that sounds bad for you. We had know. a great time. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let, let, me, let me tell y'all. Compared to the Pan Am scene, which is just like... Sucks. We're, we're just, we're just going to bump for a little bit, and that's it. Again, <laughs> Megan Fox Transformers-ass shit. Um, this is... This is... This was a good one. This This is a good scene. There's a lot of fun like intimacy to it it's it's two people clearly like caring for each other i love the part where there's like a break and you light up a cigarette and then judy kind of like playfully tosses over it's it's very good it's well choreographed it was all i think done pretty well it's still weird that for some reason like at one point i even exclaimed i was like why does v still have her underwear on that's like a weird thing that this game does Mm -hmm. at random points still i don't understand it because you you had like a a setting on right because like you can totally have them just fully naked that's a setting that's a setting i think it might be because like there's definitely a way where you like see everything well because like it does it does a thing where like you see characters like you see your v naked in the menu when you're like putting on different equipment yeah. yeah but then in photo mode they always just have fun. like and it was not that was not the case when the, first, the game first came out because i distinctly remember taking tasteful nudes in the <laughs> um, in the first day of, of cyberpunk being out um and and i couldn't do that like a couple days later after a patch went out you had to specify the tasteful part. Thank I mean, you. I... <laughs> they, they were. Good. Yeah, we could tell, because you said tasteful. Framed, yeah. framed from the little freak angle. <laughs> this is the tasteful news. I, I like, got in the action shots where, like, you have a gun out and, like, made sure to angle it just right 
that one gun was covered by the other. Oh <laughs> my god! That's my god! Oh my god! Ken yeah, Ken taking some pocket. magazine covers over mm-hmm. here, some yeah. like Burt Reynolds ass photos. <laughs> Dude, I've been take tasteful news. I I spend a solid sixty oh percent of my time playing this game, either taking notes or in the photo mode. And we, you bet your fucking ass, I took advantage of that while I could. We legitimately Hi. cannot allow Kenneth Shepard to play Final Fantasy XIV now because Ken <laughs> will fall down the... I will get a message at, like, 2 a.m. one night that's like, how do I install mods on fourteen? Yeah, and that's when G-Shade. Ken will have gone... F- <laughs> yeah, how do I install G-Shade? <laughs> and I'm For like, oh, no, news. Ken. <laughs> oh, there were some trending tags on Twitter that you'd be interested in. <laughs> So um, I can't say, I can't recall exactly if it's a setting, but I know there is definitely a way, like, I've seen the scenes with the underwear on, which is, yeah, like you said, a, a little odd, and then I've like seen Like a streamer scenes, mode, maybe? Like, like, like a Twitch streamer mode? Oh, I'm not quite exactly sure. I just know there's a way to see Judy's titties, and that I enjoyed it. Oh, that yeah. was the weird part, was, like, I saw, I saw Judy's, I saw Judy's, like, all of Judy, but then when it like there was there's a part where the camera kind of pans so you could see like V's go, lower yeah. half a little bit and and yeah. like V still had underwear on. It was very weird. It's a very specifically V thing because like yeah, in these yeah. scenes, your love interest is naked. V is not. Mm, but but my V was topless during one part, and I think later on did not have underwear on during the part I mentioned with Judy and the cigarette and all that. So I think. I don't it's know arbitrary. what it was then. Maybe it was just a weird thing. I don't know. CD Projekt Red. I, I don't know. But it's just a um, thing that we're all quite particularly hung up on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean, well, it's I, been like it's been a thing. I'm like, the game has like a a real weird inconsistency in how it is willing to frame nudity, and yeah, it's in like, you know, okay, you got the thing in the in the main menu where like it just shows you everything, but then it'll come to like a scene. Where V is like in the shower after the, after the relic fucked them up, and I was like, "Why are you still in underwear? Like, why?" Right. The, it's the it's the inconsistency. I think that is just it's, weird to me. There's also like a notable difference because I will say that like CD Projekt is one of the few studios that is out there like trying to do. I mean, like Bioware does as well, but um, CD Projekt is trying to do like actual sex scenes, romance scenes, and stuff like that, and not many devs do that stuff. But also the key difference here between this and something like The Witcher or like Mass Effect Andromeda is these are also first person. And that's like a very notable difference. And in some ways it does make it like a much more interesting experience because now in this Judy scene, it feels a lot more intimate. It feels like it's carrying forward the themes of Pyramid Song very well that like you have developed this emotional physical intimacy with this character so now the scene is taking place in first person uh it is a very different experience i mean the only other game i can think of that does this sort of thing is grand theft auto 5 and it's not handling any of that with like the the emotional maturity that the scene might demand uh and it's a great scene it is a really really good scene i think it's a great uh like love scene especially compared to the one other comparison point i have in this video game uh, but it was like just a weird one little thing. But I do like the scene a lot. I think it's it's there's a lot of work that's done here to make it. And also, 
bringing up the comparison point, it is like it's clear they tried to make it feel like an actual romance scene between two female characters and they didn't just kind of like model swap some stuff around in the way that like mm. I think Mass Effect 1 kind of had that problem mm. where it was like they clearly defined the romance scene in in a specific way and then just kind of model swap some characters. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I, I appreciate the I think there's a real effort here to paint the emotions behind mm-hmm. the sex mm-hmm. scene like this is obviously and as we'll go on to see from the following conversation with Judy after this happens, like this is not a purely physical thing. This is a very emotional thing. And for me, I I just felt it was especially really lovely to see this like explicit scene with a Latina character because like there's all this work that has been done to show that she's a person and not mm-hmm. an object like usually latina characters are treated as things that exist for a man's sexualization or to fulfill a fantasy especially like an ethnically uh like contextualized fantasy and so it's impossible to talk about a Latina character like Judy without delving into the ways in which Latina characters overall are portrayed in the media, especially just through dehumanizing sexualization. Um, mm. Instead of that, here, like I just felt like I was watching two queer women, two queer women, one of them, at least one of them, being a Latina, because my V was also like I modeled her after myself. So at least one of them is a Latina woman and you just have these women celebrating their attraction Mm -hmm. and what I think is obviously at least the first steps toward love and it's done in a way that is not unsexy or like unsexualized. Like there is sexiness here but it's not objectification Mm -hmm. and those two things are very different and it's all because you have a character that like is an actual person and that there's been a lot of thought into like Eric mentioned the choreography the like camera angles of this um but I think it's totally understandable if other people see this scene differently and I know there are people who do and I think that's totally fine and understandable um but I personally feel like the work up until this point had been done so that this is not a blue is the warmest color kind of thing Mm. or a thing about yet another sexy latina character having her sexual attractive features like sexually attractive features and aspects like played up just for Mm. the sake Mm -hmm. of the player character Mm -hmm. to enjoy and that's a again a really rare thing (laughs) for Mm. latina characters so it's yeah, I I adore this scene. It is so intimate and, like you said, playful, but it is also it's also vulnerable and emotionally raw, and it's it's kind of just yeah. everything I would want to see in a sex scene between two women in a game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely and like Eric, you said this earlier. It feels very much like cause you you brought up Mass Effect as like an example of like when at least in the first game they they like model swap things. It it feels very crafted for the character that yeah. it's about, and that's what I think yeah. I like about it especially like, i think the game for, for all of its faults regarding the kind of topics 
I think the the sex scenes in this game were actually like, with the exception of Pan Am, pretty good in terms of like being sexy, but also being like very clearly made with a character in mind and a relationship in mind that they've taken, you know, that they have done like the work through all the side quests that come before it to really kind of like help you understand why it is framed that way, why it is choreographed that way, why it has a certain tone. Because like there, there are different, there are different tones within all of these as well in terms of, uh, you know, here with Judy, it's like, it's very intimate and romantic and understated where like the Carrie one is fucking completely different and feels like it speaks to that character in a way that I, again, like for all of, the, the criticism cyberpunk has in regards to sex regards to how it talks about bodies and you know portrays nudity i feel like it, it at least had a pretty strong concept of the characters that the player would be possibly pursuing romantically and how to make these scenes feel very built for them yeah um i will say we've dumped on pan am a lot this episode Poor still not Diana. the worst sex seed in this game still not the worst are you sure scene. Uh, the one with the corpo lady that you can have. Oh, is I mean, that's like a one. that's like a hookup that they used as like. I'm pretty sure a lot of those uh, a lot of scenes choreographed in the same way as the the joy toys. Like the, the joy toy ones. ones. Okay, yeah. the joy toy ones are also bad then because yeah. that the one the one with whatever her name was. I did that the first time I played Cyberpunk, and it was I, I just remember walking out of there and being like, "Well, if the idea was to give V shame, they have certainly communicated <laughs> shame." <laughs> I've I've had regret gamified now. I've truly experienced the future. <laughs> Um, anyways, after, after our night, whether spent yelling at Keanu Reeves or, uh, doing something else, uh, we, we get up and Judy's out on the pier. And I just want to say that as much as I did like the scene the night prior, I think this was probably the standout part of this entire mission for me, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. even more so than the dive or the sex scene or whatever. Um, there's something about the way this scene is framed the like lake i'm i'm somebody who really likes nature and and lakes and stuff i i like lakes um but also but like (laughs) but like nice for you to do there's i I don't if you want to talk about like things that feel nostalgic to me it is like waking up really early in the morning to kind of watch the sun rise and, and sitting out at a lake and just kind of like sipping some coffee and like thinking about stuff on the dock and all that. And this, like this spoke to me in this moment where like, you now kind of have this it's morning, mm. what's going on, what are we going to do? And and you have this moment where you sit down with Judy. And if you've been romancing her up to this point, uh, she asks like, Hey, what was last night? And you can either be a monster or you can say, you can say it's the beginning of something, um, which is, yeah, that's the only acceptable option. I'm sorry. That's, I don't make the rules. Quick side note. If you break up with like basically anyone in this game, after you have the sex scene, fucking heartbreaking shit follows like all of them. Um, like here, I I wouldn't watch the scene with Judy. Like if you break up with her here, she's kind of like, she pieces out and she's like, okay, cool. Great. And walks away. And then, you get a text from her later being, like, I think it says, like, you've been removed from this person's contact. I'm like, mm. yeah, okay. That, that sounds about like, right. That's right. This is a really emotional thing. Like, like mm. Judy, and this goes, like, back to 
what you just said with her, like not in terms of the sex scene, but like in terms of diving into Laguna Band and the way uh-huh. that she sees uh-huh. BDs. Like I don't think Judy is capable of doing things that don't emotionally mean something to her. Like mm. BDs, she does this for a living because they mean something emotionally to her. She brought you to Laguna Band to this and she had the night with you or she didn't and she let you stay on the bed as she took the couch while she was like awfully distraught like because you mean something emotionally to her it's uh-huh. like to break up with her here like, it, it is such a heartbreaking scene mm. i'm sure all of them are heartbreaking because it'd really be cool to do that like and to send mixed signals uh, but judy's is like it's really uh, mm. i hate watching uh-huh. it it's so sad uh, either way, uh, you do get access to her apartment, which I, for for non-romancing, just kind of feels like you know they that is a gameplay thing that they have decided to do that that you will get extra bases of operation uh, and kind of I guess shows that no matter what you did reach like the end of this person's quest path and developed a bond with them mm-hmm. and that like reinforces it, but also like if you are in a relationship with Judy, that is just this. Like V can have a moment where where they can be like no one's ever really done that for me before. Mm. Like that's it was very sweet. I really liked mm. it. It was really really nice. And then yeah, you Judy, can visit her in her apartment. Yeah, it's really cute. You can go talk to her if you sleep in the bed. You wake up next to her, which is like yeah. a newer thing they did. I think yeah. Yeah, but, that came um, on the, the next gen patch. Did. Very nice touch. Very very smart of them to do. Um, but. She also mentions that, like, hey, the reason I also called you out here was because I'm thinking about leaving Night City. Uh, I'm probably going to bounce. And I think unless you romance her, she's she leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do romance her, she sticks around, and that is how she can potentially end up in, in your ending. Um, but it is... I, I think that just... It, it lines up well. I, I think ultimately like judy looking at everything that has happened in night city and and suddenly thinking like it it even feels like judy's heart is not in night city the way it might be for other people like there is a calmness that she retreats to this cottage to get away from it all right like Mm -hmm. this is her escape out and so it does feel like what she ultimately wants is to not be in night city anymore maybe go find somewhere like like oregon where her parents are or something or grandparents actually i think um uh go somewhere that is not necessarily this city that just swallows lives the way that she has seen over and over and over again um Mm. and so in a way i almost like feel bad that by romancing she sticks around um I don't know. It's yeah, a weird that, thing. That was my feeling when I was watching you play. It's like, I obviously didn't romance her. And so, like, having this moment with her where we're both, like, sitting and, like, on the outskirts of the city and, like, all, all I guess I don't remember what fan am, but the other romantical characters have points where they, they're sitting in a place and I think it's, there's, like, a view of the city and I think the distance from it or, like, where mm-hmm. specifically you are, like, it's, it feels very intentional and, like, speaks to that character's relationship to the city. And, to have her be like here sitting with me and being like, I have to leave. Like this, this is, I've, I've thought about it a lot. Every time that like I want something here, it's taken away from me, and I know you still have things that you have to do here. So I'm gonna go. Let's please stay in touch. Like please keep me up to date and what's going on. 
with the relic and what, what you're tr like what you're actually getting done here in the city, but I have to leave. And so in that way, when I was watching you play it, there was almost like a weird like I, I had a weird sense of like feeling her story felt incomplete with your with your playthrough in a way that it didn't feel like mine because like, I felt like you know I, at the moment like I walked away and like kind of acknowledged that there's a non-zero chance that my V and her will never see each other again, and it felt right in that way. And I think you know when you are romancing her, her like literally her story is not done yet. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of it just comes down to like what decisions you make as the game goes on and what ending you get, because she, in whatever way it turns out to be, she is tied to that story in a way for you that she's not for me and where her life is going to be more directly affected by the decisions that you make at the end of this game. And so, yeah, like when you're in a romance, it doesn't feel as clean here by design. And, I think that, you know, it works because, like, it, it is just like the game saying this person is tied to you still. And the decisions that you make moving forward have to kind of acknowledge that this person is in your life and is a part of whatever you're going to do next. And you'll ultimately, like, face the consequences of that if you make certain decisions in the end. And so in that way it worked, even if it didn't feel, like, as poetic in the moment as it did when I was, like, just being her friend. Mm -hmm. uh. Natalie, how did you kind of feel about the resolution of of this romance line, quest line? Um, I think I think just overall, Judy is a really important character to me, who mirrors so much of my life. Um, mm. Like I absolutely know the feeling of what it's like to desperately want out of somewhere and to also feel like you've got no way out so that you got to take the first opportunity that you get and if you miss that opportunity you're stuck there forever um i think i can speak for ken as well when i say that we both know this feeling and so her conviction to leave and make that happen is especially emotionally resonant for us um if you romance her she does stay a little longer for V, but in the end she does commit to leaving right. regardless mm. of what your choices are and i think if you were to find yourself in judy's position that it's always easier to stay it's always easier to stay with someone that you finally established a connection with in this like really hopeless and upsetting place um but, and it's really hard to leave because you're like, well, I'm not just leaving behind all these things that I want to, you know, leave, you know, in the past, like I'm potentially leaving this person. And there's so many like logistical things that you have to figure out when someone else comes into the equation. I think it's a lot harder to leave and trust that you're doing what you need for yourself and I think Judy does that with a conviction that is really inspiring. Um, Judy in general just isn't a character that's gone for the easier way out of things. And I'm glad that she looks at the choices in front of her and she chooses not to stay and try to force things to work. Um, I, I think that wouldn't be easy, but it might be easier than just leaving deciding that that's what's best for you even if it means leaving behind someone else that you really care about like she has the strength to acknowledge that this environment isn't for her mm. that sometimes shit just sucks 
and Mm -hmm. you gotta get out or else you won't survive and that as much as you want to fix things maybe there's no way for you to fix them here and you have to go somewhere else Mm -hmm. um and so i know that feeling i know that it's easy to to turn inward and to feel like leaving is the same as giving up like you're not strong enough for sticking it out here Mm. in this awful place Uh, but at the end of the day you need to survive and sometimes that means not sticking around Mm. um, in this Mm -hmm. place that is just not good for you for your soul for your future for your present um yeah i mean i i say that like I say that as someone who is dealing with trauma that I see as like I'm still like breaking out the consequences of both mentally and physically after I left for university um same as Eric I left for university and I'm sort of back home and I I'm still dealing with the consequences of Mm. having left Mm -hmm. and experienced what I did over in university um and it's hard not to feel guilty because I I feel like I I went to university and then I took a medical leave um, and, and it felt like I gave up because I didn't stick it out in this place mm. that wasn't good for me and so I, I still deal with that guilt and with that trauma and like I'm glad that I ultimately left when I did I almost just wish I left sooner and realized mm. that there was another way to do things and mm-hmm. I'm really glad that Judy ends up in a position where she's like there is another way to do things and that part of that is leaving um, and I hope that wherever she ends up which we may or may not find out in whatever future expansion they're gonna you know release eventually um, I hope that she's kinder to herself about it mm-hmm. than I have been because I really do think she's doing the right thing and she might not know where she's going to end up, but she knows that it's the thing that she has to do. And I'm glad that she sticks by that regardless of mm-hmm. what happens. Right. Because, like, leaving is paramount to her in a way. And I think, you know, we'll get to the way that this game ends in that episode many, many, many months from now. <laughs> um, but I always appreciated that the game had an, at least enough of a vision of its characters to be, like, these whole individuals not entirely defined by the player character that like certain endings are going to end up worse for people depending on like the relationship they're in and that's interesting to me because it it speaks to her convictions it speaks to like how important it is for her to leave something um and yeah I, i i feel a little complicated about not necessarily judy but like the arc of the story of hers because like she is simultaneously like an example of somebody in the city actually giving it a shit like believing things can be better well also like her story does ultimately fall into the same cynicism of this game in which she does all this stuff she tries to make something better and then it ends up kind of being the worst possible outcome for a lot of people mm-hmm. um yeah. and i acknowledge all that complexity in the way that i think it's ultimately like a failing on cyberpunk to like actually care about anything for, for mm-hmm. longer than a half fucking like half of a mission but i do yes. think she exists as a completely realized character in a game that is not worthy of her i think yes because i think like she 
even when she chooses to leave, like, that is not an example of her giving up. That is an example of her recognizing when it is better to be away from something. And that, you know, it's better for her to leave Cyberpunk 2077 than stick around where she can continue to feel this, all these pressures of this place and, you know, be an example of, like, you know, the, the conflicting feeling that I think a lot of characters have about being here. Because, like, there are characters who are very adamant about staying in the end anyway. And... So in a way, like, she just is a person who argues one point and then is comfortable leaving after she said her piece. And I really admire her for that, and I think that's why she's always been a standout in this game for me. Um, even if I feel like her story leans into some of my least favorite parts of this game, which is the undying cynicism and the way that it will put somebody like Evelyn through the fucking ringer to try and make a point because it doesn't know another way to even communicate something to a player. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, big fan of Judy Alvarez over here. And I also, yeah. like, and this, this is actually something that I wanted to bring up uh, at other points, but it just kind of works here as we're kind of like wrapping up. I love being a gay man in Cyberpunk 2077 and Judy just being this really fucking rock-solid queer friendship in this game because, like, mm -hmm. as much as like, I want to have this friendship with Pan Am, it does have to, I have to get to the fucking points where I'm like, I have to turn her down in the middle of shit where it is so freeing to play these games and be able to talk to a female character and know that the game is not thrusting an expectation on me to mm -hmm. talk to her in a certain way or have to like go as far as to like actively like hit a switch somewhere in all the flags that the game has in its back end to be like, I am not interested in this person and I can just fucking talk to her and just like be friends with a woman and, like, mm -hmm. it is this queer woman where we are just fucking vibing with each other's energy all the time and never even having to touch that shit. Like, never having to touch what is, like, an acknowledgement of, like, other people are going to be playing this game who might have a different intention. I'm, I'm curious uh, for, like, a point of comparison to something we've covered before. Like, did you feel that same sort of way about Sarah in Dragon Age Inquisition? Or is there something about Judy specifically that just feels like it enables that relationship a bit better i think there were several other factors in like using sarah i, I, I know you're not a, a huge sarah fan right to be fair. So, yeah that that is, that is one thing but i also think it comes into some of the other things that i've talked about in terms of my relationship to v like and my relationship to like city life and mm -hmm. things in night city that just feel like they more I, I feel like i'm more able to express those things with characters like judy who are queer in the more like real world sense if that makes sense because mm. like you know dragon age is a, a universe with its own cultures and things that like are signifiers of this and of these identities we're here in cyberpunk like it's because it is more allegorical to real life it just feels like that is a connection that i feel feels more grounded in real world dynamics of like queer friendships and in a way that Again, like, I don't think Dragon Age or something like that could even speak to, because, like, it is so asynchronous with everything else. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, so, like, and it, and it also just feels like the game went out of its way to not force any dialogue option on me that would make me run into those walls where things felt like I was having to, you know, like, turn a system off before I could just have a relationship with this friend. Right, right. I I am consistently intrigued by the ways in which... Like, it, it felt like there was tracks laid down for the romance path in playing as a female V 
that did not feel like they were there when I was playing male V. And mm. that's for obvious reasons because of how the, the romance functionality works. But also, like, I, I feel like this is a game that, for all its faults, in a lot of cases with the romance, it lets you kind of build that up a little bit more organically than a lot of other romance games do, or games with romance, I should say. Uh, it lets you kind of almost write to your own conclusion in, mm. in a way and, and get to the point uh, where it's like, oh, you know what? I I do think I want to romance this character. I would like to do that video game. Mm. Yes, thank you. And um, it's I, I felt that a lot with Judy. Like my, my takeaway is that I think Judy is an extremely good character in a game that is not very good at handling such a well-written character. Mm-hmm um it like they have solid gold and they are trying to bake with it and the ingredients are so incredible that you will still get that out of the dish even if the dish surrounding it is not very good like you've got some wagyu beef here and even if you end up making like just a a hamburger with ketchup on it that that burger is still going to be a very good burger but uh it's it's also not always handled the best way uh and and that's that's kind of the takeaway i have is i have so many little issues like the mocks end up just not playing a role in any of this for like story reasons i guess and uh a lot of the stuff that happens with tom and roxanne like happens off screen Mm -hmm. and doesn't really get like granted it's supposed to be very judy centered at that point but like (laughs) the the game's just kind of like and Roxanne was never heard from again. <laughs> that's, and that's the end of that. And same thing with Evelyn and same thing with Woodman and same thing with Maiko and, and just so much of this game uh, just feels like it's bas- bashing action figures together at points to just like make things happen and surprise the player. But at the end of the day, the core of it that's so good, which is the Judy relationship and, and the the desire to want to make the world a better place, even in a city that actively wants to suck the humanity out of you for profit, um, is really compelling and it's really, really good. And so many good little moments in a game that I still felt so much frustration while I was playing it because it's just in so many other ways, just another game, just a, a bog standard open world game with a cyberpunk veneer uh, we didn't talk about combat at all this game because the the times when you do combat in this section are so just, I have done this in a million other games and I will do them in a million more games. Uh, it might as well be a Far Cry mission. Like, it's, uh, it, it's so blah. But then every once in a while it swings in with something out of left field that really gets you. And <sighs> Cyberpunk, as ever, remains a game of contrasts but (laughs) what's not of contrast is normandy fm we are a retrospective podcast that is consistently fantastic and if you feel (laughs) that way you should leave us a review you know put put a little five star down below podcatcher of your choice yeah five only five stars or else ken will find you but (laughs) um we also have a patreon patreon.com slash normandy fm where you can go support us and all the things we do 
every week uh at the lowest level you get into our backer discord where you can hang out and chat and at the second highest level you get these episodes as soon as ken is done editing them at the highest level you get your name shouted out on every episode and this episode that list includes mercedes cluis meredith shane erickson darius pippins and genevieve barba thank you all so much for contributing and keeping us going through all we do before we sign off Natalie, once again, where can the folks find you and all the lovely things that you do? Yes, so you can find me over on Twitter at Hardymecia. That's heart I-M-E-C-I-A. And uh, you can find me doing more backstage things. I don't write much these days over at fanbyte.com, but I'm continuously looking over the amazing things that my coworkers and brilliant friends like Ken Ray all the time so uh, you'll I'll have like a, a little piece of myself with everything that I edit <laughs> in that way uh, but I've, I've taken more of a backstage role nowadays you're also on 99 makes, potions every week mm-hmm. huh? oh yep. yes I am yep. also on 99 potions uh, fan bites RPG podcast every week uh, but yeah no I just want to say thank you so much for having me on today I'm, I'm always happy to be on Norman DFM but as I just mentioned I'm more of a in sort of like unseen role nowadays I don't have much of an opportunity to write um, so being able to sort of get my feelings out there especially feelings that I've always wanted to get out about duty mm-hmm. has been a really validating and wonderful time ultimately like for all its faults cyberpunk sees people like judy like me as you know whole people Mm. it sees judy and me as a whole person and so i just want to say like thank you to every person who clearly poured their soul into crafting this character because as eric was saying like it's it's very perplexing (laughs) that this game Mm -hmm. has this character i don't know how it ended up being that it has judy while having everything else uh, but I'm sure that must have been an uphill battle for everyone who wrote Judy to have her be as wonderful as she is. And so I'm thankful for all the work that they did. And mm-hmm. also for y'all for giving me the space to mm-hmm. talk about how much I love her. Absolutely. And who knows? We could see Judy again. I mean, Siri from The Witcher can travel between universes. I mean, so theoretically. <laughs> like, we, we brought it up, like, in passing, like, the expansion that they are working on. It's like, you know, we, we haven't seen anything of it. I was like, that that shit better have, like, the characters that people care about. I, I, I don't know what that expansion is going to be, considering the places this game goes. Like, what, like, in spite of all its faults, feels fairly complete. Like, in terms of the story that it's telling. So I'm just constantly wondering, like, what is that expansion? Is that going to be date night in Night City? We're going to go on dates with our love interest all oh, the time? Oh, mm. I, I would be so surprised if it's anything like Citadel or anything like that. I, I think it's absolutely going to just be, here's a combat arena. Here's some, like, cool side quests to do with, like, a guest YouTuber or something. And yeah, then I mean, here's, like, here's a new to, ending. <laughs> like, that's, that's the that big to, one. Compare that to, like, The Witcher Three's DLCs, which are widely oh, regarded, like so good, so like very highly regarded. Like I didn't play them, but like I know just by like reputation that The Witcher Three Wild Hunt DLCs are like pretty, pretty great. And so I, just, I, I wonder. Uh, I get hopefully by the time that we like finish this retrospective in January, we have some sense of it. But we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, it'd be even wilder if they'd release it before we finish, because then we suddenly have to address the mm-hmm. concept of do we podcast about the expansion. <laughs> but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. For now, for Natalie, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for listening. And we will catch you next time when we talk about the Badlands on Normandy FM. Thank you.